Hey there and welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. Jack Lazell is away on assignment this week, uh, but standing in his stead, we've got our other two co-hosts. First, he's a platforming prodigy. It's Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? You were thinking of something there. What was you thinking? No, I was trying to do like Calgary... Long pause, Alberta, Canada. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, that one went straight over my head. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry for ruining the joke. Uh, I'm 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 a mixed bag. Um, it's it's been a pretty rough week. Uh, like m- my anxiety has been has been hell over the last week. Um, but I I'm signed off week uh, signed off work for a week, so I'm just going to be taking it easy and. Um, Playing a whole bunch of Nobody Saves the World on Garrett's recommendation if he tells me it's good in did, about an hour's time. Did did they tell you uh, that it had anything to do with the, the those eight balls of crack you're all, you've always got just off screen when we do these recordings? No, no, I kept that to myself. I didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you ain't sharing your crack with no one. <laughs> I didn't share that information. So, um, but yeah, it's it's been interesting though as well because like uh, I, I went to my GP and uh, he immediately like prescribed me uh lexapro i believe and i've been kind of going back and forth about like do, do i want to go down that path i'm not sure how i feel about it um so kind of looking at um like other treatments as well and uh, i'm thinking i'm thinking i'm, I'm gonna do some acupuncture uh, and see how that that may go with me um but yeah so it's 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 been an interesting week. It's been an interesting couple of months, it, to be perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah, it, it, it's cool with stuff like that, that, like, um, do you know, like, to kind of even do a short course to reboot your brain chemistry, and then, like, usually what they'll do then is they'll they'll wean you off and then see if that did the job. Like, the the goal with that with the SSRIs here in Ireland, anyway, I can't speak for other countries, um, is to not have you on it if you can like if they can take you off it, they will. But yeah. also they won't force you off it. Yeah, I for me I it's just I'm terrified of the side effects more than anything else. Mm. Um and I know that you know, like the, the the common side effects aren't that bad, but I'm still Yeah. I'm still really tentative about it. So yeah. that's why I'm more uh inclined to just stick some needles in me once a week for a while and see if that does anything. <laughs> God, you can tell you lived in Newbridge for a while. Yeah, needles, right. needles aren't always the answer, mate. <laughs> stick with the crack, man. Stick with the crack. I know it's very Moorish. Um, speaking speak, of cocaine. I was going to say, speaking of crack, we have our other co-host, who is great crack. He's, uh, he's, he's Cork's favourite son. It's Garrett Kidney. How are you, Hello, Garrett? friends. I'm doing okay. I'm doing very little, so I can't complain. Just all that cocaine. Yes, in all cork. of the crack. Yeah. The famous cork crack. What it, what is the um yeah cuz like obviously, you know, Mark lives in Dublin and that's like pretty much just like the worst place on earth. <laughs> yeah. But like Newbridge that I live in had a big reputation as being a heroin/ketamine town. Ketamine because of like, you know, we're right beside the Curra, so there's all the the horses, so ketamine is 
are readily available here. Is there any like particular substance that Cork is notorious for or has a rep for? I'm not sure because like I'm really boring. I've never actually done any hard drugs. Yeah. No, me either. I'm talking a big game about ketamine here. Like I, there was one misunderstanding where we were making a joke at Electric Picnic, me and my buddies, uh, including Brian, former co-host of the program, about ketamine. Um, and the result of that was everybody in the campsite all weekend thought we were hoarding ketamine. So we kept getting people walking up to think, going, oh man, here you have some ketamine. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where, and I can send the photograph to you in the group chat, we have to put up a sign on the tent saying there's no ketamine here fuck off well i'm sorry but that's like drawing moths to a flame surely like they're, they're gonna yeah, but that's the thing to you. that's the thing like once we made the initial joke and then had to start denying it it was a reverse psychology effect yeah, exactly. where they're just like oh they have it they just don't want to give it to me yeah <laughs> uh, I, w- I watched a man pass out in front of me on ketamine i don't know if that counts as as partaking it doesn't uh, but um, i've seen it i had a friend um take ketamine electric picnic and proceed to get lost in the woods for two days <laughs> was the zelda theme playing the entire time it was, was he, he was like he was spotted at various times because the last thing he did before he went into the k-hole was he got his face painted like a tiger um did he so come he out was, as a stout he's just a tiger yeah, wandering yeah, the woods yeah and he was properly prowling like he was getting into character <laughs> and he, he like the last time he was spotted before he just sprinted off into the woods oh. he was on the merry-go-round as like a playground electric and he was on the merry-go-round swiping at children as he went past going rawr do you know what i feel like he made the most out of that experience yeah. and i can respect that he was insisting that we his name is gary uh we call, we he insisted we called him ty gary and there was one point about a day into his disappearance where we saw him rambling back towards the tent and we were like Gary over here and he got startled like he was a fucking like so, like it like it was out in the wild and just booked it back into the 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 woods it was uh, it was quite a weekend actually um can we can we start a new series of shows where you just tell us about your friends and their experiences over the years because i feel like um, dude i have so many stories so many again as somebody who's never done drugs in my life i have so many stories from people i know oh my god yeah fear and loathing at electric picnic oh jesus what what a story um this this uh this show has started this season premiere has started off on a on a strong note i know right um <laughs> But you know, before we move on to the actual body show, Garrett, how are you? <laughs> I'm I'm doing pretty well. I'm exercising regularly again, which helps. Yeah. Because I was very fat over Christmas in many ways. <laughs> the best thing about getting fat though is that if you do the smallest amount of exercise to get to a weight that you would have previously been upset about, you actually yeah. feel pretty good about it. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Same. I, I gained like I think five and a half pounds over Christmas, but it was like I was trying to think of what are the most preposterous things that I would normally have that I haven't been since I've been trying to eat better. So I was having things like, oh, it's lunchtime. I'm going to have fish finger sandwiches. Like the most like carbs on top of carbs shit you've ever heard of in your life. Getting the greatest hits of all the local takeaways. Yeah, it was Jesus. I'd have to say that seems like a real like big Lebowski meal. Like if we was to knuckle down and see what it, exactly what it is what is it's a it's into. a real you're living in student digs and oh, yeah, that's that what's well. a loaf of bread and fish fingers are what you can afford in duns yeah. on a monday night after your lectures sort of thing um a freezer surprise as well where you just make a little bit of whatever the fuck is left <laughs> you know that kind of shit that just really doesn't fly when you're trying to look after yourself yeah. um but it's funny like at at this age where 
like I noticed it. I don't know if you were the same, Garrett. Like I noticed it more than I would have in previous years. And I think possibly it's because, you know, most of the rest of the year I've been eating much better is that when I had a few days of eating whatever the fuck I want, I was actually psyched to get back to not doing that because mm. I was just feeling like my sleep was all over the place. I was just feeling a bit like all the time. You reach a stage where you like down a tube of Pringles, which I can do far too quickly with far too regularity. Mm-hmm. And like, you're just like, this no longer gives me any enjoyment. It is like yeah. actively unpleasant, both like mentally, emotionally and like physically. Do you remember those days, Dave, where I demolished a tub of Ben and Jerry's in five minutes? Those days are long, Mark, long gone. Mark, you demolished that point of Ben and Jerry's in three minutes. Stop trying to make yourself <laughs> sound semi-human on the podcast. <laughs> There was a running bit, Garrett, when uh, when Mark lived here, that if there was something I was like, oh, this is going to go out a date before I want to eat it again. I've gone off eating this junk food. Uh, my last step before the bin was to walk into the sitting room to the human bin, Mark Robinson. <laughs> now, in my defense, there was a period of time where I didn't have much money and a job yet. So I was taking yeah. scraps as they would come to me for yeah. nourishment. <laughs> I'm sure that probably still kept after I got a job, but hey, It sounds like I went to, like, take you in from Fagan or something like that off the streets. I mean, to (laughs) some degree, it's not that far removed. And have a couple of spoons of ice cream, like, please, sir, can I have some more? Throwing your unwanted (laughs) scraps in front of him, being like, yes, eat it, hoover it up, boy. I I was having to be frugal with my expenses for a period of time, okay? I was like, who do you live with? I live with my friends Dan, Brian, and Mark the Urchin Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Who only ever he, seems to play Stardew Valley. And yeah, he eats my ice cream. And then periodically I'll ask him to go out and cut me a switch. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get going on the show, though, I want to do a big shout out. You will have heard, as is the norm with a new season, a new year on Link to the Cast. We have changed our theme music. So big shout out to Aaron Good for his 8-bit rendition of Stay Forever from Paradise Killer, one of our favourite tunes of the last few years. Uh, his Twitter is at T-Bone underscore Doog, D-O-O-G. Um, check his stuff out on there. Um, yeah, I'm really... This is That's a song we've wanted as the theme song to the show for two years, but nobody... I think Paradise Killer came out too close to the end of 2020 that no one had put up a cover of it by the time we went with our last theme song. Um, so yeah, happy to have it finally. Yeah, and we I, also I, I randomly. I, I was gonna say I randomly stumbled across it. I wasn't even looking for it at this point. I think I was just looking for like, uh, stay forever reacts and stay forever reviews and just seeing like what there was and stumbled across it. So uh, thank you, Aaron, for your permission. It, Much appreciated. It's, it's gasted for four years on the show as well. We keep promising Jack we're gonna make uh, Jump Up Superstar eight bit the theme song. But every year we've found something like we prefer right at the last minute. Next there's also, year, there's even a version of Jump Up Superstar that's eight bit that's in Mario Odyssey, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, you don't even have to go looking for it. Yeah, yeah. But and you know what we'll do? you know what we'll do? We'll spend the whole year telling Jack. Yeah, we'll do Jump Up Superstar next year, and then uh, January first, uh, we'll change it to some song from Psychonauts too. Oh, that would be so cruel. <laughs> In like, fairness, I'd say there's more of a chance that like Nintendo would come and try and fucking do a takedown every week if we uh, if we try to use that. So, that Tim Schafer, on the other hand, he's too look, cool for th- school. That's that's maybe why Jack isn't here this week instead of being on assignment. He's actually been taken down by big Nintendo, finally. Or maybe he's gone to have a word with Tim Schafer. Maybe, maybe. Um, 
Lads, let's talk about what we've been watching, what what entertainment we've been consuming. Um, I know I've been <clears throat> watching and, and listening to and, and, and all that sort of stuff, loads of stuff this year. I actually looked <clears throat> on the 15th of January, I'd already watched something like 22 films this year. Um, so I'm, I'm really trying my best to outdo my Letterboxd of 150 films logged on Letterboxd last year. Um, I think I watched like 12 films last year. And one yeah. of them was inside at least three times. Yeah. I, I, I guess, so I've got... Do you want to go first, Mark, maybe? Yeah, I can we'll do. Go, we'll, I mean, this... we'll, we'll go Mark, me, Garrett, because I have like I have three things, but two of them aren't going to take very long. Uh, this this shouldn't take too long. I'll just give a quick shout out. We watched uh, Ron's Gone Wrong the other night, and uh, I really like that film. It's 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 an animated film. Is it Disney or Pixar? I actually have no idea who it was by. I didn't even take that much time to look into it, but um, it's doing the whole kind of social commentary about um, technology and kids and social media, and it's very on the nose, um, kind of similar in some ways to like the way that Don't Look Up was, but it's uh. not, but instead <laughs> the, the only difference is that while Don't Look Up really thinks highly of itself, Ron's Gone Wrong is just a, a, a very sweet um, uh children's animated film so uh you know it's it's on the nose but it's not as impressed and enamored with itself as uh don't look up was so yeah quick shout out for that but boys have you seen that cuphead show trailer yes what do we think because i have to say i i i didn't know what to expect and it has blown any expectations that i possibly could have had i think that the it obviously keeps with the cuphead style but i'm really liking just the sound of it as well in terms of the 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 voice acting and mm. the the kind of the soundtrack that that's there in the background yeah i i had a couple of reactions to it so like my first wave was immediate like excitement and i think you're dead right about the like how the characters sound and stuff like that um um, and the vibe of it all seems cool. Um, but the thing that was kind of like, it was almost like as an afterthought, I saw a tweet about it when the, the thing came out and it was only then that it made me me think about it. And as like, it it is and it isn't the Cuphead art style because, you know, like all the characters are recognizably kind of that design, but it looks like a modern cartoon. Um, yeah, and I it's suppose that, it that, looks a little bit more updated to that style. And yeah. like, I, I guess in terms of like budgeting for an animated series to hand draw to do everything the way you would need to to make it look exactly like cuphead the game would take probably as long as cuphead the game took to develop <laughs> yeah. um and you know netflix are probably aren't pumping that much money into it um for animation so i i understand like it's that element is a little bit disappointing because i p- feel that's part of the whole package is that it looks like one of those um like 40s 50s style cartoons um but it's still like there's still enough there for me to be quite excited about it um and you know i'm starving for that delicious last course uh dlc and maybe this will whet some of the the cuphead appetite i did very nearly having watched it start play it again start playing it again because <laughs> i have it on all three platforms and i was just like do i want to start it on like playstation or xbox and get some achievements yeah. and trophies i'm, I'm kind of one platinum but i'm kind of wondering like do i want to play a little bit of it about a week or two beforehand so oh, when, yeah yeah so i'm at least kind of warmed up for when it comes out 
Yeah, because I even I was like, I hadn't played it since, was it June 2019? I beat Cuphead when I was in Italy and um, I hadn't touched it since then. And like maybe a couple of months ago when it dropped on PS4, PS5. Uh, yeah, when it dropped the PS5, uh, it was either it just arrived on PS5 or it was on sale. But either way, I got it a couple of months ago on PS5. And let me tell you, even playing the root pack, I was like, I've completely lost it. I've completely yeah. lost. I'm not in the cuphead <laughs> yeah. mode. I am getting killed to bits. And like me at the end of my cuphead experience, when I just beat the devil, could have just absolutely routed the root pack. But now it's it's all gone. Uh, which you'd expect, you know, like it's it's so much muscle memory with those bosses and that style of game. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Did you see it, Garrett? What did you think? Because you're kind of like the animation guru of the podcast. Yeah, because I, I don't have a ton of like affinity for Cuphead. I played, I think, like the first island, I think. I think. Because when it dropped on Switch, I played it for a few hours. And then I was like, listen, the amount of time I would have to invest in this would be too much to actually finish it. So I'll put it on the back burner. I'll probably get to it eventually, which means sometime in like 2045. So I was kind of with you where I was like, oh, it's it's digital animation. It's not hand-drawn. It's kind of a bummer where it's like, well, the whole appeal of Cuphead is that it's painstakingly hand-drawn. And as mentioned, that's the reason it took so long to make. But I, I get why it is digital animation instead of hand-drawn. And it does look very clean and nice and pleasant. But it does lose some of those, like, flourishes of hand-drawn animation that you would hope for from a Cuphead animated series. But, like, I can't speak to it capturing the spirit of Cuphead as much because I, I played a couple of hours of it. Yeah, I, I, it's funny that you finished on the first because it really is, like, right at the end of the first island, start of the second, where, like, they separate the wheat from the chaff because it is, <laughs> like, is it the... Is it the blimp is one of the last ones on the first island and one of the first ones on the second island is um, the genie. Yeah, the which genie was, and the genie uh, was the, the first one. The genie was the first one where Mark was full on screaming at my TV when I basically bought it to get Mark to play it when it came out as an Xbox exclusive <laughs> just to see what had happened. And that was the one where like he was properly enjoying it up until that point. And that was when I started to see the rage. I yeah. think that is what actually happened to me. It's like, I played like most of the first song. I was like, you know what? It's 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 tough, but it's not that bad. And then I got the genius like, no. Yeah, it, it certainly springs up a level or two. Um, but to just kind of bring back to the trailer, the one thing I will say is like hearing those voices, because it's the thing with, with this show is like, I've had so much time playing this game, but stuff like, you know, what would the characters sound like? What would those voices sound like? As soon as I heard them, I was like, I'm fully on board with that, you know? Like, that works for me, what those guys sound like. Like, the the kind of charisma that's coming out of the devil and, and his kind of whole attitude and persona. Um, there's there's kind of a, a sort of like a Cartoon Network villain vibe to him in some ways, in some of the ways that he kind of sounds. Uh, I, I would have loved if he sounded like either him from the Powerpuff Girls or the red guy from Cow and Chicken. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of red guy in there. I would there is say, a little actually. bit. There is because, a little bit because him is too far too fucking creepy. Um, yeah. I still don't know to this day how that got through, but there there is a bit of red guy in there, definitely. Yeah, um, and I'm fairly convinced that Elephant is the guy who voices Patrick Starfish. Could be, but you'd have to go back and listen to it. Um, but yeah, Again, I, like I'm the, super. There's like the same five or six you know uh voices that pop up in almost every cartoon yeah um, yeah I'm, I'm waiting to see uh who from rick and morty shows up as a cameo at some point yeah 
But yeah, so Cuphead, looking forward to it. Right, I have a bunch of stuff because I just remembered two more things uh, as we were talking that I, I wanted to add to mine. I won't take too long uh, on any of them. So I mentioned that I'm trying to like, I'm trying to break a habit of always like rewatching the same stuff. Um, I tend to have like that comfort blanket of I, I, I rewatch Arrested Development about once a year, start to finish. I... Um, when in doubt for a new drama to watch, I have so many times just restarted watching The West Wing and I want to, there's so much stuff out there and there's so, there's like a backlog of different stuff from not just last year, but years before that, that I really should have been watching. Like everybody at one point last year was raving about The White Lotus that was on HBO and I just never got around to it, even though I, I, I did kind of have the time if I just put down the stuff I was used to. So I want to give myself, you know, as many new experiences as possible this year in media and hear different voices and different things that would be a little bit outside of my reliables. Um, and one of the things I've started doing this year is reading more. Um, and that kind of like, um, I wanted to do that anyway, but the thing that got me back in the routine of it was reading John Moxley's autobiography, which is fucking brilliant, by the way. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that this week. Um, I moved on from that. I decided like, well, what, what will I do? So I kind of Googled some of the best ofs of the last couple of years or fiction books and, and things like that. And I started reading this one uh, called Clara and the Sun, which is uh, written by the person who wrote The Remains of the Day, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, and basically what it's about is like these um, android companion uh, dolls that are in this kind of toy shop and in this society they are they're kind of bought for a child to be like their best friend and their compadre growing up and things like that this whole book is um, written from the perspective of the, the the little android Clara inside the shop window and in the back of the shop you know that idea for yearning to know more about the world noticing that they're kind of like developing different emotional responses to the other AIs and things like that. And that kind of um, interesting perspective of like observing human behavior by something that isn't quite human. So it's like, it's a sci-fi book, obviously, because it's, you know, androids and, and things like that. But also like, it's got a lot of real heart to it. And there's that kind of, you know, I'm only about, you know, 10 or 15% of the way through the book, according to my Kindle. But, um, at the moment, it's interesting seeing like that kind of almost childlike innocence way of viewing the world and viewing people and taking them at face value. And then presumably with the way the book is going, see the scales around that stuff start to fall. So I've, I, I'm I'm really enjoying that. Recommend that if you're looking for something to read. It doesn't seem like it's that long of a book either. Um, So it's not like an overly huge investment. Um. Can I just say I appreciate that we started this podcast six or seven years ago doing a book club feature and we now finally actually have an official book club uh, this feature is, this, that we've done. So This might be the first non-video game related book we've talked about on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the next thing I watched was a a weird sort of horror movie called The Scary of 61st. Either of you guys heard of this? No, and the title doesn't make logical grammatical sense and it upsets me. Oh, this this will be fun for you guys. <laughs> fucking buckle the fuck up for this one uh i hated this i'm just gonna pull the the, the... band-aid off right yeah okay. so 
I saw this. Um, so long-time listeners to the show will know uh, I'm a big fan of Red Letter Media stuff. And they do a series called Half in the Bag, which is their kind of like contemp- review of contemporary movies, stuff they've seen in the cinema. And at the like the kind of end of one year, start of the next year, they do a wrap up of like, here's a big omnibus half in the bag of all the stuff we watched during the year that we didn't think warranted an individual review. We're just going to chat briefly about all these different things we saw in the cinema. Um, and one of the things they saw was the scary of 61st. And usually like when Jay and Mike see something, I'm like, right, if, you know, whether they thought it was good or bad, if they thought enough to actually talk about it, it's something I want to see and make my own judgment on. So the scary of 61st, I got it. Um, Saw it's a horror movie. I saw Jay mention things about a grindhouse feel to it. I was like, he was saying all the right things about the style of the thing. Um, My first red flag when I downloaded it was... um, that the writer-director of it is a woman named Dasha Nekrasova. Anybody know that name? Doesn't ring any bells. Uh, she's one of the hosts of the Red Scare podcast. Um, and I don't know how much you know about the Red Scare podcast, but for some people, yeah, that's... I'm not, we don't have the kind of time to get into the Red Scare podcast and discourse around that podcast, but that was an immediate kind of... Ooh, don't mind me don't while know. I go and do a Google of that. Don't know if I'm going to uh, enjoy this. So, start it off, and one, Grindhouse feel is there. I love the aesthetic of this movie. That's the thing that, like, if I could take away with me, with me from that, is the aesthetic of it is bang on. And it's these two women move into uh, an apartment in New York, and it's kind of, it's a bit of a dive. They're coming in, they're talking about how, like, it's much trashier than they thought it was going to be when they moved down. Uh, they need to clean it up and shit. And then this kind of... Um, this this other woman who is played by Dasha um, swings by. Um, she's like, I, I think the implication is that she's like, she's with the company that rented it out or, you know, at least that's the way she's trying to pass it off when she comes in and like her blazer and her blouse and stuff like that. Um, and up until her appearance, you're getting vibes off the place that something isn't quite wrong. And, the you know, the the soundtrack and the aesthetic and stuff like that is letting you know this is a horror movie so you're expecting the other shoe to drop but you are not expecting what that fucking shoe is lads um fast forward a couple of minutes if you don't want spoilers for the scary of 61st right up until the point where dash's character shows up who i don't think actually has a i think she's just called like the girl in the credits um but she shows up and it turns out she's investigating the apartment she's really into finding out about the apartment and to the point in the film where she shows up, you don't know what time period it's kind of set in. They do a, uh, I like um, a movie that leaves you kind of unmoored from what time period it's set in. But then it gets real specific because they're like, you know what happened in this apartment? And I was just like, okay, right. It's going to be like some sort of Indian burial ground type shit or, you know, there was a brutal murder or, or something like that happened here. And they were like, no, what happened to this apartment? And she kind of leans in. She's like, you know who owned this apartment? And I'm like, no. And she goes, Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, dear, no. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, what then plays out is, like, this was one of, like, his flop houses where he was stashing the, the... stashing girls he was trafficking in. And that's the implication. And there is, like... 
what it turns out is that this girl played by Dasha is like absolutely obsessed with the the Epstein case and things like that, which her real life parallel, like, you know, and I think a lot of, you know, politics and lefty podcasts were obsessed with that case when it was going on. And like it was, you know, horrific and like kind of pull like made people uh, realize one of those kind of there's a world behind the world where all this sick shit is happening kind of thing so people were fascinated with it for better or worse um i but yeah it's just like i don't know from that moment on i was like oh i don't like the vibes of this i don't like i don't like it at all um there is uh, it has to be seen to be believed a montage scene where uh, let's just say Dash's character has a great old time with herself while rubbing herself off the front door of Jeffrey Epstein's actual New York apartment building, <laughs> like real life one, like to the point where like as she is, uh, shall we say, bringing herself to conclusion, she is uh, pawing the the J.E. on the, the sign outside the door and um, and it was right, like, it was maybe a few minutes after that where I was like, do you know what? Don't actually need to watch the rest of this. I'm fine. And I, like, I'm somebody who, for better or worse, almost always sees a film through it to its conclusion. But I was, like, 45 minutes into this, and I was like, this is fucking muck of the highest order. I, I'm out of here. And I'm not, like, I'm not saying that in a way that I'm, like, you know, easily offended or that I was offended or anything like this. But I'm That just, just sounds like, shit. Yeah, it was like... I don't I, I don't think there's a you shouldn't make a film of it X, Y, or Z or anything like that, but I just You just don't I, need to I, spend your time on it. Yeah. I felt like it she was almost standing behind the camera going, Look how shocking we're being. It it's it's you really know, sounds like a real kind of low hanging fruit in terms of look how provocative we can yeah, be. Yeah, that's you know? what it felt like. It felt like it wasn't actually provocative, but it was aiming for provocative. Yeah. Really hard. It just sounds more like, like exploitative or voyeuristic yeah, of the whole and not, thing. And not in the like cause again, the grindhouse feel and the way it's shot, like I exploitation cinema has its place and of there course. are yeah, exploitation yeah. movies that are really, really enjoyable and really like would rank highly on, on on any list i would do but um yeah this was it just nothing about it was earned nothing about it was sincere it was like we're trying to be outrageous just for the sake of it to no real interest or payoff on my part now again scanning the um scanning the reviews on letterbox like it seems to you go one way or the other in this thing there's virtually no one who's bang in the middle there's loads of four star ratings four and a half star ratings and then there's like people like me who are like one or two stars you know, I gave it two, I think, but I had to just because, like, I like how it's shot. And you I gave like it two, even though you stopped watching after forty-five minutes. <laughs> yeah, because I, I liked, I liked enough about like every, like everything about the aesthetic and the the tone that was being set by the the score to it and things like that. I really loved. All that was missing is like the actual what the film is fucking about. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't it Even a shame it... that the composer and the director and the cinematographer did yeah. good work on this for just a dog shit horrible story that nobody wants to yeah. watch? Yeah, it's it's it, it's shit. Uh, so enough enough said about that. Um, something I watched in its entirety since my last appearance on this show, which is completely the opposite experience of that, is the HBO Max uh, Harley Quinn animated series that came out. I think twenty nineteen was the first season. One, uh, the second season came out early pandemic, and the third season is about to come out. Guys, 
where the fuck has this show been all my life? This is like the best DC animated thing in years and years and years. Some of the, I, I was on the show before talking about how some of the DC animated universe movies are pretty good. But like in terms of consistently entertaining, holy shit, the Harley Quinn series is amazing. It is super not a kid's show. I mean, like, within the first couple of minutes of the first episode, there are, like, grisly murders on the part of the Joker, and there's already a recurring bit uh, about how Harley Quinn is convinced that Batman literally fucks bats. Um... Uh, the the way the Hardy Quinn animated series like interprets all the different characters is fucking great. Um, Jim Gordon is like this super divorced energy loser alcoholic pathetic dude. Um, Batman is just like just a like as he would as he would be if that car- if that character was real an absolute weirdo. Um, Clayface, who ends up in in Harley's gang, is like less of a like a scary brute and more of like a ham theater actor who's constantly trying to um work away like whatever scheme they're doing this week. He's trying to figure out a way that he can morph his clay into being a different character, <laughs> and he has that kind of like arch and high voice. Like it's proper, almost like Tobias Funke when he's trying to act in Arrested Development. Um, is it Mr. 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 Pricklepants from Toy Story? Yeah, yeah. Um, you've also got maybe my favorite character in it is Bane, because he's got the Tom Hardy Bane voice. But um, like from the start, he's hanging out. At the, I think one of the first scenes you see him in, he's hanging out in the Legion of Doom headquarters in their canteen, and he's got his own personal coffee mug that says "Coffee is my reckoning." And the vibe of Bane is that he's part of the Legion of Doom. But all the other Batman supervillains fucking hate him and think he's an annoying cunt. <laughs> like every time he interrupts, they're all just like, "This guy is the fucking worst." It's so good. Um, is he like super jacked and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super. Okay. Like he's he looks like comic book Bane, where he's got the mask and the right. vest and everything. But he's just he's got the high Tom Hardy <laughs> voice. Um, it's oh god, it's he's so fucking funny. Um, the show is so good. Harley, like, obviously we're used to the, the, the Tara Strong voice or even the, the Margot Robbie version. It's actually Kaylee Cuoco. She of Big Bang Theory. What? Yeah, that plays Hardy Quinn. And she's fucking brilliant. Wow. Um, and the other lead in the show is um, Lake Bell as Poison Ivy. Um, and she has, like, a fling with one of the, the, the worst... Uh, Batman villains of all time, Kite Man. So, like, some of the real C and D tier Batman villains get to show up and get clowned on. Like, uh, oh, Riddler is in it, and he's played by Dean Pel- the guy who plays Dean Pelton in Community. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's perfect. King Shark-, King Shark is part of Harley Quinn's gang, and he's voiced by Ron Funches, um, who is a- just a perfect King Shark. Um. Yeah, it's like, guys, if you've never seen this before, I've not get it watched. Didn't even it's know it was gonna a thing. be like, I I think it's gonna be one of your your favorite animated series in a while. It's so fucking funny. Um, I yeah, I every episode like I was I watched both seasons in about a week. Um, they're twenty minute episodes and about twelve episodes a season. Okay, and I just I just 
binged because I just couldn't stop watching. Every single episode had multiple things that had me laughing out loud by myself, which is the real kind of like litmus test for just how funny something like this is. Um, What's this streaming on? Uh, it's on HBO Max in the States. Um, I can sort you out with the two seasons, should you so wish, <laughs> after this. Uh, maybe we'll talk about this. I can send you this. a link to purchase it after the recording if you're interested good thing we don't uh put the videos out for this yeah um final two things um archive 81 i just started last night that's the new sci-fi series on netflix it has similar vibes to censor which is my favorite horror movie of last year censor was the one about the the woman who works for the like the British censorship board and she's censoring the video nasties in the 80s and comes across a video nasty that has a kind of link to her own history and she goes to investigate that. So in some ways, there's kind of a similar vibe here. You, your main character plays... Um, he's this guy who like he professionally restores cassette tapes for the Museum of the Moving Picture in, in the States. And some guy from a, a shadowy corporation uh, comes to hire him on a private contract. He's going to pay him $100,000 to restore all these tapes that were the only things that survived a fire in a tower block in 1994. And as the guy is restoring the tapes, he sees not only that things are slightly amiss, maybe slightly paranormal, um, but also that there are links to things in his own past. Um, I re- I'm four, three or four episodes into this. There's only eight of them on Netflix, and I really, really like it. I think it's got a really cool, spooky vibe. Um, it's shot really beautifully. Um, the way the narrative works is that it jumps back and forth through like present day as he's restoring these tapes. And as he's restoring the tapes, you're going back into 1994 and following. The tapes are all from this one woman's camcorder who is in the tower block doing an oral history of the area, which is kind of Candyman vibes off that. Um but yeah, and she's starting to discover that something is wrong about the people and the establishment, this this flat. Um, so yeah, it jumps back and forth between the two. The characters in these kind of weird dream sequences or are they dream sequences start to interact with each other. Um, it's really, really good. I don't know necessarily where it's going yet, but I'm I'm definitely along for the ride. I think it's really good. Final thing I watched this week before I finally shut up uh, is the new Scream movie. Um, I fucking love this to bits. Um, I think it will, your your mileage will absolutely vary depending on how much you like the original Scream and what it does for that kind of subgenre of meta horror. Um, but I think it's, Scream, and I tweeted this out, Scream by itself is a franchise that more than almost any horror franchise I can think of loans itself to what the, the movie itself describes as a requel, where it's not quite a sequel, it's not quite a remake, but it is very aware of itself and the horror that has followed it. Because, you know, the original Scream was so referential of slasher movies that preceded it. There's the What's Your Favorite Scary Movie thing in the opening scene with Drew Barrymore, which is fucking iconic. The Jamie Kennedy's character who is basically aware that they're in a horror movie and describing the rules of surviving horror. Um, So there is a lot of that. And, you know, from the start, I knew this was going to be a good subversion of the original 
Scream without necessarily just remaking Scream. The murders are happening slightly differently, but there is an echo of what happened before. Um, down to like the first scene is a girl alone in the house and the phone rings and she's talking to Ghostface on the phone. They're talking about what's your favorite scary movie. Um, but you know it's more modern meta commentary than rather just rehashing the same thing because there's a bit where she's just like, um, he's like, oh yeah, do you like all these old horror movies? She goes, no, my favorite's the Babadook. Um, you know, horror movies that don't really say anything are just a bunch of bullshit stuff that's just a bunch of co-eds getting slashed to bits. That's that's kind of horse shit to me. So, I, you know, I, I like that kind of stuff. There's a couple of moments that I think if you're not in on the movie and you're not in on the franchise might be a little bit too on the nose for you. Um, But I think overall, it's one of the better, you know, there's this huge trend at the moment now where we're revisiting all these properties. Like, you know, there was the... Halloween reboot in 2017 or whenever that was which I thought was one of the better ones that they've done but they're doing that with everything now there's like a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming out soon and and things like that but I think Scream is right up there as one of the I didn't necessarily think it needed to be made but now that I've seen it I'm pretty glad it was and obviously my boy former WCW champion David Arquette does a storm and performance I think they also get that balance right of having like a whole new cast but also bringing back like the three key people you would want to see from the old ones in Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox and David Arquette. And the level to which they're in the movie is probably just right. Um, And there's like, there's really good payoffs to stuff and like um, doing new or slightly subverted things in old settings or things that remind you of stuff from the, the previous movies. Um, Also, I appreciate, um, the repeated acknowledgements that uh, everything after the third one was dog shit because it within something that's happening within the universe is that there's a reboot of the stab movies that are based on the events of the original scream but in this universe they're up to stab eight and they say there's like multiple lines from different characters where it's like god everything after the third one is fucking awful uh, <laughs> so I can appreciate that yeah yeah I, I really liked it I really really liked it I was so happy coming out of it do you uh, um, do you recommend going back and watching the at least the first three before you go in and watch this um i'd say the first one is the main one um i I think you could go in sight unseen and it does a good job of kind of like letting you know without letting you know that this is something that is of significance but i think if you watch particularly the first one and maybe the second one it would enhance your experience somewhat like i i had rewatched the the first one for days of thunder this past halloween um, and that definitely helped because there are some settings specifically from the first one that you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is exactly how that played out. But they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 pretty damn cool. Um, and it's if they went back to the well, I'd trust them more than the David Gordon Green when they came back with fucking evil dies tonight there a few months ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's interesting. This is the first one without Wes Craven, obviously, isn't it? Yeah, and they did really nice. So there's like there's a load of do you know the way a lot of the characters uh, or places in the first one were named after horror things. So in this, there's a character called Wes, and um, there's a at the end there's a there's a title card on the movie that's saying it's for Wes. Um, so I think they did a, a really really good job without him um, on this one. Um, 
but yeah that that's that's I, I think that was always my, my favorite thing about scream is that if you go back and watch wes craven's new nightmare yeah. you can see literally him coming up with the idea for scream while making that movie yeah yeah and i love like uh, i think i think because of and i said this on the days of thunder thing i think people don't think as fondly of scream as they should and it's partly because of scary movie and the way they drove, like, people think of the Scream movie sequels as scary movie sequels, and they're better than the scary movie sequels. Yeah, uh, yeah those first three. That that kind of half reboot one they did a few years ago, not so much. Um, but the, that original three are really good, and I think hold up better than most film, most horror, like, a lot of 90s horror does not fucking hold up. Um, but those three movies and the original Candyman are probably the four that I would, like, not ignore from that period of time. Um, but yeah, that's Scream. Go see it, people. Um, Garrett, save me from completely blowing up on the air here. You've seen The House. Yes, The House on Netflix, which is a an, uh, stop-motion animated anthology series, which is three featurettes, as I guess, of the word. They're all about 30 to 35 minutes long-ish. And there, there are three different stories based around the same house. So the first one, you see the house constructed in, like, I don't know, ballpark 17, 1800s. The, the second one is a modern setting where a developer is re- renovating the house. And then the third one is in kind of like a softly post-apocalyptic setting where there's been a, lar- a large flood. So they're kind of horror. The first, well, the first one is straight horror of the three like stories. The first one's straight horror. The second one is like existential horror. And the third one is, well, not really horror at all. It's about a landlord. I guess that's a different kind of horror. <laughs> Um, but they're they're really really good there's there's just something about great stop motion animation that even if these stories weren't great and i think the first one is fine and i like the second two a lot or the the second and third a lot but even if the stories weren't great just looking at these is is so much fun because like the level of detail particularly in the second story which is directed by nikki lindroth van bar who is a name no one has ever heard of but if you go watch her like stop motion animation, you will see a level of detail in her like environments and in her models that will blow your mind. Like any scene, if there is like, you know, usually they kind of cut corners. They might blur text or something in stop motion so they don't have to fill in all the detail. Not her. She will literally every single item on a menu. If there's like a an instruction manual on a desk, you will see the name of the instruction manual and the author. It's like, like, like Wes Anderson level of detail. Uh, probably like even deeper like you can literally pause it and you can look at like tags on bags and boxes will have labels and they have the the proper things holding them together like the level of detail in that animation is like insane and it's like a a very cool idea because the, the three stories are based around the same house so it's the same like physical space but it's it's completely different because one is like when it was built when it's like scaled back kind of stately manor style. The second one is more modern like house in London, I guess. And then the third one is it's then like in a state of disrepair and there's a bunch of people living there as like a, a rented apartments. So it's cool to see the same like physical space reimagined in these different ways, and like as I said, just just looking at this like it's it's what an hour forty I think between the three stories just staring at the level and quality of the animation is like so pleasant like you will want to stop frames and just look look at all the small tiny details throughout it it's really really cool and it doesn't have a bunch of huge stars attached the biggest name is probably helena bottom carter who has a role in the third one and dizzy rascal has a small role in the second one i guess good for him but they're they're not two names you'd ever put together would you now (laughs) 
Hell in the Bottom Carter and Dizzy Rascal presents um, The House on Netflix. A, a main event in any arena in the country. <laughs> but uh, I really hope stuff like this finds an audience on Netflix because it's really cool that they're actually putting money into like more niche genre stuff than just, you know, the same old uh, teen drama or uh, freaking murder documentary that they, they seem to populate Netflix with constantly these days. Yeah, that's kind of why I was happy about Archive 81 as well because I know they've done genre horror and stuff like that before with the um the fear street trilogy last year which was oh really god, jesus movie. fucking god the irish accents in that uh, third one <laughs> i was listening to what was i listening to i was listening to reaction shots the easy allies movie podcast and and isla and huber were on that talking about how the third one was their favorite and i was like what the fuck are you talking about it was just like i thought like the first two of that trilogy were fair to middling and again the third one was one of those very rare times where I actually couldn't watch it the whole way through because of how bad those accents were I just couldn't do it to myself the accents no like it's set in America why do they all sound Irish I don't understand it reminded me like so do you remember when uh, The Vavitch came out, the the Robert Eggers movie with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy in it, and they had gone to the painstaking research of like, what would the accents of settlers in the new world around this time, what would they have all sounded like? You know, they really tried hard to get their voices down. And then I look at something like the third Fear Street movie, and I was like, what the f- Like, were you just watching Lucky Charms ads? <laughs> Like, what the fuck? Were you just watching Tom Cruise in Far and Away? Was that, like, where you got the inspiration from? Fucking hell. Um, yeah, I watched, like, the first maybe 20, 30 minutes. Um, something I really uh, noticed about it straight away from the opening credits. And actually, you probably could have figured out with your eyes closed was that the, the score for the movie was done by, I'm going to butcher his name, Gustavo Santalola, who did the um, the soundtrack for The Last of Us games which is why I immediately said to our friend Barry Murphy that this would be right up his street. Um, and I was like, it, I don't know if you had the same thing uh, as I did, Gar, because I didn't really know a lot about the house when it showed up, but I was just like, oh, I'll just stick it on here while I'm having my lunch. And for the first few minutes, I just couldn't quite pinpoint the tone where I was just like, have I turned this on expecting an animated feature and I'm going to get a horror or have I turned it on expecting a horror and all I'm going to get is an animated feature because like for the first few minutes before something like legit this is definitely supposed to be spooky happened you're like this could really go either way yeah because <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't play their hand on, and like the first one is like kind of weird horror as well so there's like just stuff appearing in the woods and the dude walks into that uh, dude's caravan I guess yeah. and then decides to sell his house and it it kind of reminds me of like, do you know something like Coraline where it's mm-hmm. like, it's creepy, but it's not outright supposed to be scary. And you're just like, yeah, like this is an animated flick, but there's something off about, oh yeah, there you go. It's supposed to be creepy. <laughs> and the second one leads into that even more where it's just like, oh, this is just a dude. No, no, no. There's a lot more going on here. And the, the second one has a tremendous sequence where it's a dance number with a bunch of bugs that are infesting the house. And it is just amazing. And again, like the the level of detail in the, the, all those characters, it's like a full on dance number with like a hundred bugs just doing wacky dances while this dude kind of hallucinates, or maybe they're really doing it. Who knows? But yeah, I I really like these. I like them a lot. And I thought it's really nifty. Again, Netflix just putting resources towards stuff that's a little more niche, that's a little more like this isn't going to find a mass audience. This will never find a mass audience. But I think the people that do find it will enjoy it a great deal. Yeah. 
Um, right, I suppose let's finally talk about some video games on this show, guys. Um, Mark, do you want to go first? What up? I've got two things, actually. I realize I've only got one thing down, but the first one uh, will take as long as it takes for me to talk about it as it took for me to play it. Uh, I started and finished a game over lunch today called Below the Ocean uh, by an American indie developer called Ishmael Rodriguez. And it's this uh, like two-bit tone, like white and black and white pixel art uh, puzzle platformer that very much is pulling from the the like Celeste um, wheelhouse in terms of some of its like ideas of hey here are diamonds that are um, collectibles but they're not crucial fundamental to the overall progression of the game um, and it, it uses really nice uh, underwater physics for the way that it you kind of traverse the environment so for like most of the game you are attached to like a water tank and you have to make your way to the next water tank which then starts a chain and you kind of carry on like that but while you're connected to the current water tank you can basically like float around underwater um, and if you get to the point where there's no more slack on the cable and you're still pushing right you'll start to kind of like push yourself up um, so you kind of use that as momentum to propel yourself around or sometimes you need to kind of like tangle yourself around um, like an object or something for the purpose of trying to get up to a ledge. It's it's kind of very similar to um, a lot of the stuff I said about Alekhead last year, where it uses just a couple of ideas, but it, it pushes them to like the, the most it can get out of those ideas. Um, it's just it's a really uh, just a, a, a joy to play um, and again it's only about 60 to 90 minutes long it's split into like four sections um, that only take about 15 20 minutes like nothing too challenging either on the puzzle side or the platforming side but uh, just a breeze to play through and that was on steam and it's on itch.io as well so that's a that's a recommendation and, uh, and yeah, I finished Halo Infinite. I finished that up the night before last, uh, finally. Um, I'm having a, a fucking blast with Halo Infinite, man. It's, it is a fun game. I don't know what the fuck is going on with the story. Uh, I Because I've not played a Halo game properly before, I know just through, like... Uh, osmosis whatever about stuff to do with Cortana but I still don't really know what the fuck is going on but you know what I don't really care just get me in those big open sections where I'm trying to take over a base um, preferably if I'm in a tank as well so I can act like I'm playing fucking GTA 3 and just blowing shit up and yeah those moments those moments I'm like yeah I'm having a lot of fun with this um, I do have a couple of issues I st still think so you remember when we were talking a couple of weeks ago and I was having issues with like the first two hours of the game where it felt quite linear and the environments were quite sterile and generic sci-fi looking. The game is kind of split into two sections once you get past that. There's just the big open world sections and there's the bits where you go underground and do variations of those linear corridor sections. Yeah. And I never really got on board with them. They, they just... Because I was given this this whole open world and a grappling hook, which is also crucial as well, there's just a, a freedom and a flexibility and just a level of chaos 
that those open world sections provide that yeah. the the linear sections just cannot match and i was yeah. finding myself rushing through them to get back to the bits where i was back out in the open world you know do you know what's interesting is that like i i, I absolutely see where you're coming from and to an extent i i go along with that but like for me and i think i think a lot of people who are more into the franchise than you and I historically were. I think that's like almost a selling point to them. Probably. Where it's like, yeah. for me, it's actually proven so far. Now, I haven't beaten the game in its entirety um, yet, so I don't know if I'll still feel this way by the end. But I actually think, for me, it's, it's the perfect blend of both styles where, I, like... I'm doing loads of open world stuff. It's real cool. I'm taking over fobs. I'm blowing shit up. I'm riding around in a warthog or or something like that. And then I'm just like um, going into, say, the Spire was the last big level level I did. And I was like that. I felt like it was a nice, meaty, traditional Halo challenge with... Um, I think more so than definitely the last two. I think I've played the last two Halo games through to completion. Um, I kind of dipped in and out of the original trilogy because I didn't have an Xbox back then. Um, but I like the bosses in, yeah. in those levels. I feel they actually put some work yeah. into making them feel different. Whereas I, I felt like in the last two Halo games, it was just like you get to the end of the level and that's the end of the level. What, what I actually liked more than the bosses were those um, the kind of optional sub bosses that are littered around the map, mm. where you could go into them, but you because it's open world, it's, it has that kind of real like Breath of the Wild vibe of like you could approach this from a couple of different angles, and depending on the guns that you've got on you at the time, it's like okay, maybe I'll try and do this from a distance and pick some of the guys off around him. Maybe I'll just go in full guns blazing and you know use the grappling hook to pick up a couple of like the the explosive boxes. But I like them, and I like the fact that they give you like a uh, like an optional or an upgraded version of each of the weapons in the game mm. as well. And that's what I was gonna say is that like I feel like one of the benefits of those uh, more kind of like linear designed parts of the game is that they force you more to get out of the comfort zone with using the same old reliable weapons or things on the shoulders like i am out in the open world i was pretty much just always had the grappling hook equipped and that's all i was really using to get around because that it's fun as fucking hell especially when you start upgrading the thing and the cooldown is much quicker actually um, whereas just... against some of the bosses and against some of the waves of enemies inside i was using that deployable shield a little bit even and i was using the god that fucking thing that, that that's like the beacon that shows you where yeah. the enemies within the radius Useless. are particularly for the enemy but it's great when some of them are cloaked i like because there what? are the ones that cloak themselves yeah, i just i kept throwing grenades until they <laughs> and that, that, that is to me. can i say a quintessentially mark robinson <laughs> response to a situation is like they provide him with the answer but i'm just gonna fuck grenades at a problem until my, it's over. my biggest issue with that because there was actually one of the things i wanted to bring up so the way that that is mapped um you have to press either left or right to bring up one of because there's like four option the four things you can pick between like the grappling hook the beacon the shield and a dash and you have to press i think you press like right first and then you pick either up down left right depending on the which one you want to use and i i i never found that an an optimal optimal way to 
I, I don't think it's an optimal way to apply that. I really wish that the D-pad simply was just you press up, down, left, right to pick one. Because there are so many times that, because the UI is quite minimal as well, and maybe you can increase the UI for that, I couldn't actually see what was each one. So I would press right thinking like, oh, I've selected the dash now, but then I've picked the shield. And I spend, you know, three seconds trying to get the thing that I need. And by that point, I've already been killed. So I kind of wish that they just put the D-pad each of those it does what it does and then um put the like tracker for where you're trying to go assign that to another button like um r3 or something um that that's the kind of the one big critique that i have other than the story being nonsense um yeah so f honestly for like 90 percent of the game i just used a grappling hook because <laughs> it did it did everything i needed to it could stun enemies it could bring grenades to me and it mm. could fling me over very high ledges yeah um yeah it's it's been really interesting so far that it's like it's not a complete revolution of what halo games are but it's a significant evolution on what they were um and i'll be interested to see where they go from here do they keep the balance between the two types of game that it is or do they try to lean more people really like this open world shit so should we lean more into that um now this being the halo franchise it is entirely possible that because they've stumbled on a good idea they'll just repeat the living shit out of it until everyone's sick of it but i definitely could go i i kind of like the far cry thing is like whatever about four or five games from now right now i could go for a halo infinite 2 that's kind of just like um you know a slightly more polished slightly different version of this because because it's only been one game i'm not sick of this half open world half linear thing type of halo yet can, can i just but say it, there's something about naming a game halo infinite 2 that annoys me to, to a degree that i cannot it's very, explain it's very microsoft though isn't it <laughs> like yeah. it's very the third xbox is called the xbox one yeah, uh, yeah. kind of them so yeah uh, I, maybe I, maybe they'll I, come up with something else but yeah i i if they made another one of these um i mean for a start it'd be on game pass so i wouldn't really have any reason to not play it but i i do think that they they've made a really good game here and what I appreciate more than anything else is that, yeah, it very much is following a pattern, a style of game like a, a Far Cry or, or name your Ubisoft sandbox. But it play it's smart enough to know to not overwhelm you with too many, like, the, I mean, there isn't really any side quests. There's just, hey, either here's where all of the... Um, the Spartan calls are to upgrade all of your things. Here are a bunch of skins that are for multiplayer that you don't have to worry about. And here are just a bunch of sub-bosses to, um, if you want to get some stronger weapons. And that's really it. And so, you know, and I was having a blast doing a bunch of those and, um, oh, and rescuing, like, um, uh, like other Spartans and, and other crew members. I do find that sometimes I'll have a bunch of, like, squad mates with me going into, like, a fob or whatever. And it feels like the game just at some point just makes them disappear and you're on your own again. Like, you're kind of going all guns blazing with like three or four people thinking that you're going to lead this charge. And then, I don't know if it's a case of if they die, but I don't see where the bodies are left or they just, the game just kind of spawns them out. Um, I found that about a bit weird. Um, and the game really does kind of just rely on like, hey, it's just you. Unless you've got like someone in the warthog with you, like... Um, uh, commanding the the tank uh the the uh, turret um so that was a bit of that, that i kind of found and that happened 
on a number of occasions as well. So there's definitely something in the design feature there that was doing that. Um, but yeah, like overall, I it's a, it's a really strong game. Um, I, re I really enjoyed it. I had a friend of mine who was like, hey, like you haven't played any of the other Halo games, right? Do you want to go back and play them? I can't say I do. But, uh, you know... Especially with the size of that fucking MasterChef collection. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I already tried to play the first one once and ended up with a corrupted file about two hours in, so yeah. I think I'm good. It's like, what, 150 gigs and the... Uh, I, I don't know if they ever fixed the multiplayer in that, which is the main thing people wanted from it. Yeah. And I still have Forza on my Series S, so I'm good for a while. Good shit. Uh, Garrett, please tell me, does anybody save the world? Nobody saves the world, Dave. Hey, Nobody. we did a thing. <laughs> so, yes, a lot of games came to Game Pass this week. You might have Didn't seen the Hitman don't. trilogy. You yeah. might have seen Death's Door. You can literally relive the Game of Year debate on Game Pass right now <laughs> yourself. <laughs> but on that same day, they dropped a little game from Drinkbox Games, the creators of Guacamelee and Guacamelee 2. Uh, Nobody saves the world. Nobody, by the way, named the, the central character. So nobody saves the world. Nobody is a person. So nobody is saving the world. Thus, explaining the title. Um, yeah, this game rules. This game is so good. So it's like 2D Zelda, that kind of perspective, with, I want to say, it has no puzzles, so it's not a direct comparison, but it reminded me of like Wonder Boy slash Monster Boy, you know, those remakes where you transform into all, like you transform into a lion and a frog and a pig and a, all that, and you have all these yeah. different transformations that can do mm -hmm. different things. So it reminded me of like crossing those two games. So you play as nobody, a character who gets a magic wand that can transform himself into multiple different creatures. So there's like a rat, there's a guard, there's a ranger, there's an egg. The egg is entirely useless. It gets his ass kicked very quickly. But there are certain points around the map where you can sit in a nest and a giant bird will fly in and sit on you. And then that's a quest. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you upgrade your egg. You have the giant bird sit on the egg. Okay. Uh, horse, magician, slug, turtle, bodybuilder um but there's a bunch more there's i think like 25 i haven't filled out the entire i'm not finding yet. a theme between any of these this scene sounds really chaotic yeah it's just like stuff we can come up with it's a job system it's like a, a final fantasy job system basically where it's just like oh you can be red mage or you can be like like necromancer <laughs> or <laughs> you can do whatever you want um but yeah the, like the, the hook of the game is that you have to switch between all those characters and the idea is that there's basically endless quests this game just keeps throwing like side quests at you so each of the characters has themselves like seven or eight different side quests usually just involved like use this move so many times hit this many enemies with this move so there is literally constantly a new quest for you to do like constantly while you're switching between these characters and you'd want to do the quests because in order to well, when you finish a quest, you get three kinds of points. You get regular experience, which contributes to like your overall leveling up. So you have an overall level separate from the all the transformations. You get the the animal specific or tra transformation specific experience. So whenever you complete a rat quest, the rat gets experience and you gain more rat powers. And then you get star points, which you need to use to open the dungeons in the game. So the, the game is constantly like throwing like little quests at you and you have to finish them. And it's just such a, a satisfying gameplay loop because like I finished the first dungeon, they give you the rat immediately. So you, you upgrade the rat, you get enough star points to escape the dungeon. But then they give you the 
uh, guard, I think it is. Yeah, the guard is the second one. They give you the guard before you can leave the dungeon. So you can just grind the dungeon to upgrade the guard as well. And as you upgrade the guard, you unlock the next character, which I think is the ranger. And you can just do that without ever leaving the first dungeon. And it's it's super cool that they give you like that level of freedom. And you can go, it's one of those games where it's like, yeah, the map is actually fully open. You can go wherever you want. But like the enemies up there will kick your ass, so they'll kill you. But you can go there if you want, which I, always, I, I think that's actually a much better way of designing these things rather than arbitrary walls it's like if you can find your way around these enemies go for it but you probably won't what's the what's the combat like overall so each transformation has its own move or two moves and then a a passive buff so you get you have they're, they're all mapped to the face buttons so a is one a b is another x and y are another so you have two specific to the character and then as you unlock more of the characters you can then equip two two more abilities from the, the other characters because the the entire thing is the, uh, each character has each character's move has like specific traits so there's light dark sharp and blunt and there's certain enemies that have shields, so you need to use uh, a blunt attack to break the shield, and then you can kill it. So that's that like incentivizes you to use the different characters. But it's cool that you can basically mix and mix and match. Again, it's like a job system where it's like you yeah. have your your set job, and then you can use the moves from a couple of the other jobs. And uh, again, every time I'm like, oh, I wish it would have this. It's like, oh, it does have that. The, <laughs> like the, the only little complaint I have is like there is a quick switch between the jobs or between the transformations, but it limits it to like, I think it's 10 of them. And I wish it would do, there would just be a sub menu where you, and maybe I'm being stupid, maybe there is, but I, I, then you have to literally, you have to go into the menu and just uh, pick one as opposed to doing it, be able to do a quick switch. On so, the map. so is it just like you on the map or um, do you, like you kind of transforming into each of these people or do you have other people with you? Is it, is it just you on the, on the map with the enemies? It's just you. The game does have co-op. I think it does have online co-op as well, but I haven't okay. tested it. So I think you can play it uh, co-op if you want. I assume it works the same way where there's just two of you as opposed to one of you. Well, I, I've managed to get my girlfriend to start playing. I got her playing Windjammers with me last night, so she's slowly becoming a professional gamer. So I might This is can... obviously the next step. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I think this game is really cool because it's just you uh, wander the map, you explore dungeons. The dungeons have themes. Some of them are just like this dungeon has a bunch of dark enemies, so you have to use the dark attack to break their shield. Some of them have like modifiers, so it's like every attack does 9999 damage, both yours and the enemies. So it's like a one punch man kind of dungeon where you nice. it is you versus <laughs> the entire dungeon, one hit dies. Um, another one of them was when you kill the enemies, they exploded into a series of bones. So they had to, every time you killed them, you had to like back off. So like it has a bunch of little cool stuff that every time you're like, all right, I think I, I know exactly what this is. You'll unlock a new transformation that has like new things. And like the transformations aren't just combat. Some of them have different like exploration things like the turtle and the mermaid. There's a mermaid that <laughs> they can swim so you can use them in the water. And like the rat and the other smaller ones can fit through smaller gaps so you can find like treasure chests on the overall map. It's like it's a really good game because I never played either of the Guacamelees in depth. I think I like oh, they're so good. <laughs> Noted Guacamelee fan here. This is the one reason why I want to play this game because I love those games. Because I th I, th I have bought both of them on Switch and I think I've booted both of them up for like ten minutes. I play every game for ten minutes, but whether or not I play them for any longer than that is a different issue. Yeah, nobody saves the world. I think it's a really cool game. It's one of those games where when I'm not playing it, I'm like, when can I go play that again? 
Yeah, I definitely want to get to that um, at some point soon. The, the one other thing I wanted to ask, actually, um, I don't know, because depending on how long you've played it for, do you feel like the, the dungeons and the enemies, do you feel like sometimes they are trying to push you to use certain transformations that might be better in certain areas? Or does it really just feel like, hey, figure out whatever works best for you and use that? Because yeah, I think, as I said, some of the dungeons are themed around like the light, dark, sharp, blunt mechanics. So I think using the enemy whose primary attack is sharp in the sharp dungeon is probably okay. going you're going to have an easier time right but you can equip a sharp attack on one of the transformations that doesn't have one so if you want to brute force it with the one character you like you can get away with that um does it and it doesn't do any kind of like modern pokemon thing where you level one or get experience on one character it does it for all of them you have to do them like individually no like you do have an overall experience level so like okay. uh, th th all of your stats go up when when you gain a level so you're, you're you have base stats that are independent from each of the transformations so i guess that that's kind of how that works all right you can also find mana upgrades across the map yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try and um get some time into it um either this weekend or kind of early next week because yeah i i've been really looking forward to it and i saw you talking about it on twitter and i was like all right cool that that has me excited because I hadn't really seen anything about it. I didn't. I don't think I've read any reviews of it yet. So it kind of went under the radar because, as noted, about eighty-five games came out this week. Um, some of them, you know, probably more prominent than than nobody saves the world. But uh, on your recommendation, definitely give it a look. Yeah, especially because it's on Game Pass. It's 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 this gen and last gen of Xbox. So it's on Xbox One if you don't even have the new consoles and PC. So. You have no excuse. It's there for 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 no extra cost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave, speaking of wind yeah, jammers, man, I've been slinging some hot discs. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, it's pretty good, isn't it? Oh man, oh, it's a lot like wind jammers one. So, you know. funnily enough, um, <laughs> yeah, I we we're both noted wind jammers enthusiasts to the point where we we're so starving for a new. Uh, flying disc game when Windjammers the original hadn't been ported yet that we got really into that disc jam game for about a month <laughs> uh, when it dropped on Switch uh, yeah Windjammers 2 was part of the massive deluge to Game Pass on January 20th um, downloaded it from work started playing at home last night they have switched from the kind of old uh, arcadey pixelated sprites to uh, more of a kind of like it looks like a fucking Windjammers animated series now and I gotta say it's, it's kind I of like similar it. to Streets of, it, it's kind of similar to Streets of Rage 4 the way that they update yeah. the art style for that very much and I like it and I think it works Um, I think I think Windjammers 2 is an excellent game, if a bit limited in in some ways. Now, I think for you and me, who enjoy the Windjammers experience, I don't think that necessarily hampers us. It has the two things we would want in it. It has an arcade mode, which you can play by yourself. Uh, it has a versus mode, where you can play against other people. And it has an online mode. More about that in a couple of seconds. So those are kind of the three <laughs> things we would want from it. But I understand that within those, there's not a lot of huge variation or custom game modes you can do. So I can understand that criticism. Um, the one thing I was like, I'd appreciate if they had fleshed this out a bit more was that I was like, 
I booted it up and I hadn't played the original Windjammers in a while and I was like, I need to remember how to play this game. Let's go into the tutorial. But the tutorial is just a series oh, of screens. It's really so bad. It's really bad. Stunningly basic. It's just literally you just read the instructions and then you fucking hop into arcade it, mode and see if you can remember all it, that. Like, it doesn't that even give you really, like a gif, you know? Yeah, that was that was pretty disappointing, especially because they've added some new shit to it. Yeah. Um, in terms of what they've they've added to it, I I haven't mastered it by any stretch of the imagination, but I fucking love the jump. I I can't remember if it's in the first one, but you know the the kind of like parry sort of thing where you just kind of tap it and it goes over the net. So it's you such could, a dick move. Yeah. So you could parry it but i don't think you had the variation you do in this of the types of parry you can do so there's this i think you could just do the smash parry where you would just rebound it back as quickly as possible at them but i don't think you can do the slow or looping uh parries that you can do in this that you've described um at least not as handily anyway and yeah they're they have filtered in some dick moves the jump is great like it's one of those things where it's so satisfying to pull off so you have to kind of you jump and you have to try and it's already difficult enough to figure out where the fucking disc is going to go when it's thrown at an angle but if you can jump and intercept the disc like your path of your jump intersects with the disc at roughly the same height you can then hit an almighty powerful rebound or spiked shot from up in the air and that shit is really really cool i think some of the new characters look really good like i immediately went route one and picked the first character on the screen to try it at first and it's just like this brazilian kid who's a skateboarder and his animation when he's celebrating is him just fucking skateboarding around on the court at the end um yeah i think the characters look good i think some of the arenas look good there's a nice little bit of uh difference in some of the environments i love i can't think of the name i think it's the wasteland maybe there where the net is there but uh the net isn't there but there are these uh, there are these two blocks or like um metal things in the middle that when the disc hits them it moves one or both of them around so it's not always consistently in the same place and obviously if you hit it right it's going to change the angle of the shot as well as move the thing so it's just a little bit more challenging makes the different uh you know uh much as we love windjammers most of those original uh courts looked the same but that's you know the limitations of the time limitations of the time so we're not going to hold that against them too much um the other i suppose major pitfall about it and it could be you know sometimes with these kind of games it could already not be a problem as we're talking about it now but right after it launched uh, as happens so many times with these games that are made by a small team and then get a day one xbox game pass release the online was absolutely fucked yesterday at different points um i know you were saying you got online no problem i wasn't playing online uh, it was just me oh. and maria okay um and um, me slowly teaching her how to play the game over the course of an hour so uh, yeah. that had their own difficult that had its own difficulties <laughs> but i didn't try online yet i um i couldn't get online so i still haven't played a game online during the couple of hours i played it i couldn't get online um, the few times I tried, I know Giant Bomb did a stream that they ended up calling "We're trying to play Windjammers" yes, or something that. like that, and they were trying to play because obviously they're all work from home, so yeah. they were all trying to play it together. And I don't know if they got it working eventually or how successful or not, but I was seeing a few tweets around going that the online was kind of not working too much. I don't think that 
because Windjammers is such a there's such a small hardcore base. Uh, I think a lot of people who were playing it on Game Pass in the first day weren't going to be trying online just yet. They were going to try to figure out how to play the game for themselves. So it's not a massive problem just yet. And because nobody really fucking paid for the game with it being on Game Pass. Um, but once again, like a lot of those Game Pass games that get overwhelmed or like, remember uh, Fall Guys as well was like oh, completely overwhelmed the first couple of days. They will, you know, touch wood, find a balance there within a couple of days. So I'm just going to have a bit of patience for it. Um, how's how's the uh, the AI in... in was, you, was you playing the, the arcade mode, right? Yeah, it it's good. It um, I've only been playing... I played a little... I, I played to get up to speed. I was playing it on easy and then turned to medium for my last couple of matches. And... Um, yeah, really good. The the thing I um noticed the most about it is that you feel the difference in your opponent more than you would have in the original Windjammers, um, where it feels like each one of the AI characters, like as you go through this arcade mode and you face the different people on the map, they feel like they have a different style and that's not just down to their like um their special moves have huge variants in them as well. And that, I think that's one of the things that for the first while, the learning curve will be, you're just going to need to remember what their, their special, their AB trigger, um, their, like their finishing move is so that you can try and somehow time a perfect parry on it. Cause otherwise you're going to get smashed into the back of the net for five points. But, um, I have noticed, uh, in my matches that there are like, some of the characters pretty routinely will play a very defensive game where they'll stay right on the, like they keep their heels right on the back line in front of that five point target um, and play a pretty defensive game of Windjammers. And then I'll find like, I think I was playing one of the real power dudes and his game was all about getting right up in your face at the net so that, yeah, you could sometimes score really big and blow him away in a set by trying consistently to lob him. Um, but it was also really difficult to defend against him because he had pretty good reaction speeds. And once he parried it, like, because he was so close to the net, you were pretty fucked unless you happened to be standing exactly where he was going to hit it. Um so yeah, it's been an interesting challenge. I think it's going to be like, I feel like there is a, a real game of skill element to it and that um, it's going to be interesting to see what characters people main in the online mode once it's once it's all settled. Uh, I've only really played as one character myself, so I don't know from a you as the player perspective how different the characters feel. Um, yeah, but I mean, from the AI, it definitely, it definitely doesn't just feel like I'm playing the same reskinned AI every time. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell because there's eight characters and they they definitely run the the gamut from like the the ratio of speed to to power. Mm. And you can definitely tell the difference when you're playing with like the fastest character and the strongest character. Um, yeah. and know, I don't like, know if with you the strongest felt... character, you can just knock the fuck out of your opponent if you throw hard enough. I don't know if you felt it during the original Windjammer as much as we love it that like they would have different star ratings for things like that but they all kind of felt the same. They looked they different kind of the but they, yeah. they all felt the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's good to hear from your perspective that they do you do feel the more powerful ones versus the more speedy ones. Um, so that will allow for interesting dynamics and then who knows like they could be they could end up rebalancing things they could end up adding characters. I don't know 
if any or what post-release support or events or anything like that are happening. Um, but yeah, I think for a quick and um, digestible online matchmaking experience, I think Windjammers is going to tide me over quite nicely until um, the Squid Kids are back, hopefully later this year. Um, because I really do have a hankering for that Splatoon game now, and I didn't think I was gonna. Um, but yeah, um, Windjammers 2, it's on Game Pass, like, why the fuck not? Um, this segment of what have we been playing this week, sponsored by Game Pass. <laughs> yeah, I know, it, it, oh my god, it's such a Microsoft team show, uh, <laughs> this week in particular, I think. Um, right, we'll move on um, to, we have a question, but it's kind of related to our news, so we'll, we'll, we'll hop into the news first. Uh, quiet week, lads. Mm, nothing happening. Nothing happening at all. There's a little story here. I suppose we could get into it. Um, Microsoft bought Mark this obscure company. Act, act is it Activision? It's called <laughs> Activision Blizzard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Holy shit! Seismic. And not for seventy billion. All right, it's rounded up to sixty-nine billion. Okay, that's that's the crucial bit of information nice. here. <laughs> nice indeed. Yeah, that's Uncle Phil putting that one in for the fans. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm kind of glad actually that the the time between when this went down and when we record this show, there was enough. There was at least a couple of days for all of the kind of immediate reactionary things to be thrown to the wayside so we could get to like, all right, let's actually see what the fuck is going on Tra- here. Tradition has it with news like this that it usually happens either right before we record so we don't have enough time to actually sit back and observe the fallout from it or it happens immediately after we've recorded before we posted the show so we seem massively out yeah. of date. Because the one thing immediately that, and quite rightly and I understand it, everyone was like, okay, well, is Kotick fired? What's what? Like, is Kotick gone? And I'm just like, the ink has not dried on this yet. There is no way in hell that he is just going to be out the door like that. Like, yes, fingers crossed, hopefully that is, and by the looks of it, that is what is going to be happening. But anyone that was just looking at that and thinking straight away, okay, that means Kotick is gone then, probably doesn't, just doesn't understand how all of this shit works in terms of the, A, the legalities of it, because I'm sure if they did just try to hoof him, Oh, I think it was like they'd have to give him like 400 million. I think he's leaving with a obscene amount of money anyway that he doesn't need. He will have made 400 um, million on the sale alone, never mind what yes. he gets when he's, he's booted. Yeah, so like if or if they were just to fire him, which I probably imagine they can't do because for whatever reason, um, even though they probably do have enough to uh, the leg I, to, to work with. I, I would but, imagine, I myself and Jack were talking about this and I was saying, I would imagine that as part of the negotiation, there is a stipulation that either he can't be hoofed until it's done or there's a guaranteed transition period at least. Um, I also think because we're at the stage where, yes, they've confirmed that the deal is happening, uh, but it's not done. And won't be you know done I mean? for quite some time, by all accounts. Yeah. Yes. Because Deals this is like this like don't just happen. Don't no. just happen. And one of the things I like, you remember from the group chat when it immediately pointed out, I was just like, surely there are antitrust experts whose heads fucking exploded when this news came out. We we've like already reached a stage where it's like, oh, Netflix are sniffing around just in case the antitrust shoots it down. So we're we're already like, yeah. oh, who's going to be the secondary buyer if this falls through? 
Yeah. Because, like, you know, everybody on Twitter talks about the whole we're moving towards the, the idea that, like, four corporations will own all of entertainment before long. Um, but particularly under video games, this now, like, I was trying to think, and it's like the only two huge publishers that are kind of, like, still out there and not owned by mostly Microsoft at this stage are EA who have a strategic business partnership with Microsoft already, and Take-Two. Like, Those are the big two that are left on the board. I guess you have, like, Ubisoft and Capcom, which are... I guess you. I guess Ubisoft, if you want. I, I think Ubisoft <laughs> would be there yeah. as well. Like, but, at yeah. least, like, yeah. the, the Japanese companies, you do at least, fair enough, they're not on the scale of a, yeah. a freaking Activision, but you do at least, you have Konami, <laughs> you have, you do, yeah. you have Sega, well, you have Capcom, and you have Bandai Namco, so at least there's, like, yeah. some, there's still some life yeah. over in Japan. There's, and, I guess, Squaresoft yeah, as there's, well. There, there are Square. those ones that, like, like you said, Oh, Squeenix, Garrett, yeah, Squeenix, of, of course. Yeah. yeah. In terms of scale, there's that step down, but in terms of, like, the monolithic, like, like, because Activision Blizzard is just it's a juggernaut normal like it's it's a 69 billion dollar purchase well, you know, it's no massive. but that's the thing it's not a 69 billion dollar purchase because they i mm. i think the 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 stock price for them i think they paid like 45 percent like a markup on whatever yeah. like they're actually worth so microsoft went way above the asking yeah, price they and bought like, it for I, 95 a share and i think it's somewhere yeah. in the 60s at the moment yeah yeah so because yeah. the th thing with this is like okay how much of this acquisition is kotick realizing like look i i my position is untenable and i gotta do something about this and i want to leave with as much money as i can get and Microsoft actually aggressively pursuing this deal. Like, what is the ratio of those two things? Because they are the two yeah. energies that we're working with here. You and know? I'd be interested to see, like, you know, uh, years from now, months from now, when somebody who is in a room somewhere is able to tell us, like, at what st stage in the timeline of negotiations did all the Bobby Kotick stuff come out and how did that change things? Yeah, because as you mentioned... Was Dave, this like, originally going to be $100 billion? Yeah, these deals don't happen overnight. These deals take nope. years and years just to get to the stage where they announce they intend to buy it, never mind the yeah. now due diligence and uh, legal proceedings that go on afterward. So like, when you think about Phil Spencer releasing that quote in November or whatever it was, being like, we are going to examine our relationship with Activision in every regard, knowing full well they plan to buy the company you're like dude what are you doing yeah yeah uh yeah it's it's fucking wild it, it really like do you know um like we could spend an hour here getting into the like you know what a fucking tainted company at a corporate level it is but and how, like, like literally if the first thing they do once this is all like once the eyes are dotted and the t's are crossed if the first thing they do isn't to immediately purge the company of all the the codex etc and i know they're going to end up with massive golden parachutes and things like that but get them the fuck out of there do you know what yeah. i mean because yeah, there's like um, there's, at the same time there's it's impossible to talk about this without importing from like seven different angles yeah. because if you're like it's good for microsoft because they'll have games on game pass that's like the most extraordinarily reductive way you can look at it because it's like you have to ask yourself the question is this good for the industry what does this mean for sony as like their direct competitor what does this mean for bobby kotick just as a horrible human being who is probably going to benefit most out of this deal at least financially 
and then like what does this mean for the Activision Blizzard employees who have gone through a horrid beta time very publicly in the last year what does this mean for Xbox what does this mean for Game Pass and then Nintendo operate over there in the corner doing their own thing and um, what does this mean for the continuing lawsuits as well yeah there's because there's like so many layers that as I said it feels reductive to be like well you know the Xbox will get Call of Duty which they will and that's the thing because uh, yeah you've seen so many people screaming about like oh no does this mean that call of duty is going to be a, a microsoft or an xbox exclusive and yeah it probably does mean at some point in the future once all of the current contractual agreements with sony out uh, are done that probably is going to be the case i would imagine for the likes of me you and dave and jack as well maybe not jack he does like warzone but for us three i don't think it really matters one way or the other if it's an exclusive or not but it is also like probably the least important thing um, in the grand scheme of things with everything that's happened with Activision Blizzard over mm. the last and like t- two three years. There's people who are like, oh well, this means that Microsoft will let the studios like Toys for Bob or like Raven make games that aren't just Call of Duty anymore, and like. I think that's noble in intent, but like the reason all of those studios were like had that gravitational pull into Call of Duty is because it took that many people to make Call of Duty every year. So if Microsoft still want mm. to make Call of Duty, they'll either have to hire a lot more people or completely restructure all of those studios underneath them. Well, I gotta yeah. be honest. It's not like Microsoft have uh, never outsourced work to uh, you yeah. know other parts of the world for cheap now, to get I, that kind I of think... shit done. I think an interesting thing to look at is to see what's happened with Bethesda since that went down, what, a year or so ago? Um, And Bethesda seemed to have most of the autonomy they had beforehand. Um, Now, one of the key differences in here is that Bethesda has certainly done more to uh, earn and not being watched like hawks and torn apart at a corporate level than... Um, not to say that Bethesda doesn't have its own problems with, you know, crunch, et cetera, et cetera, but, but that's um, also, that's a much like smaller operation. Yeah. It's not small, but no, it's small. It's definitely but, small. Like every, like everything is fucking pittance yeah. compared to something like an Activision blizzard. Uh, somebody had, uh, when the antitrust thing came up, it was interesting. One of the replies I got when I tweeted about it, and one of the things I had seen other people tweet out was they wondered if, if the antitrust if like if the US government get involved, if the EU get involved, somebody was saying that like whatever way antitrust regulations work, they think it would actually be more realistic to think it might be shot down by the EU as opposed to the US courts, which I thought was interesting. I don't know enough about antitrust suits to know why that would be. Well I think if, if somebody knows, tweet if us. If you look at like the console space, I think Microsoft would be able to make a very compelling argument that if you look at the last generation where Sony have sold 110 million PlayStations and Nintendo have sold, I think it's 92 million Switches at the moment or something, and then yeah. they've sold like 40 million Xboxes, they can be like, look, we're distant third in this space. It's it's, it's yeah. There's plenty of competition here. Yeah, I guess then that's that's hoping that uh, nobody goes, hey, you're Microsoft, you do the PC thing as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, and, <laughs> and also, like, everyone... You sly bastards. Everyone's also kind of forgetting that, like, Tencent is the actual fucking giant in the room because no one really thinks about Tencent because of like certainly in the in the western world but you know that's the actual beast here and as um, as you were mentioning on the the show last year like roblox is bigger than nintendo now yeah yeah i know yeah. right and again but nintendo doesn't give a fuck they're just like we'll just we'll put an animal crossing game out yeah, like, the, the one thing this it. does not affect is nintendo because like, no, <laughs> nintendo really will just keep on going yeah. as nintendo <laughs> 
One of the interesting things that I was saying I saw in the replies and uh, in various tweets was they wondered if if the EU or the US really stick the like stick in the ground about this being an antitrust violation, would they be tempted to try and spin off um, Blizzard, just acquire Activision, sell off the assets that they now can't operate themselves or do that with some of the constituent studios that make up activision and or blizzard or, um, just cut loose the the third one king of course because it's it's funny yeah. people call it activision blizzard the name of the company is activision yeah, blizzard exactly. to king because it's three yeah. mega yeah. mergers now being bought up into us now mega mega <laughs> merger on top of it yeah and um, it's just it's crazy and... you you remember when square yeah, but Square did their big corporate restructuring a few years ago, and they cut I.O. loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, this this stuff just happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, for various reasons, whether it's antitrust or financials or whatever, you'll see studios or, or elements of the company being spun off, wound down, or, or what have you. Or the EA model of uh, work with a studio, buy a studio, shut down a studio. <laughs> Their classic bit. It, it, it's interesting, <laughs> like because you talk about those the three studios there, and it is interesting that um, I would imagine King makes a shitload of money because it is in the mobile gaming space. But you, you know, it's not a, a thing that, as far as I'm aware, Phil Spencer has ever kind of mentioned about. Hey, you know, we're actively looking at mobile games and what we can do in that space. So uh, it's kind of on the one hand you'd think well hey they probably do want to do something with that but it's not in the kind of grander like xbox vision so Mm. it's kind of like you can see why they would get rid of it and why they would keep it um so yeah i have no idea that that's probably it's it's a big question that i think people are overlooking is like what happens with king um on top of everything with with activision and blizzard as well um but yeah, there's there's been a bunch of articles that have come out like in the following days since, and the one the one that huh. was just the uh, the creme de la creme was uh, reportedly Activision Blizzard considered buying Kotaku and PC Gamer. Um, so this was uh, a most new report- fucking Charles Foster Kane <laughs> ass shit I've ever seen. People are like what I tell them to like. A new report published by the Wall Street Journal delving into the circumstances surrounding Microsoft's recent acquisition of Activision Blizzard is that CEO Bobby Kotick may have discussed attempting to purchase a video game publication prior to the deal in order to change his company's public image. Uh, It says in quotations, Mr. Kotick has been eager to change the public narrative about the company and in recent weeks has suggested Activision Blizzard make some kind of acquisition, including of game trade publications like Kotaku and PC Gamer, according to uh, people familiar with him. Most fucking cartoon billionaire that will buy the critics. Ah, like, my God. I mean, it's um, kind of worked for, like, you know, our, our government over in England for the last... It's like sort of fucking 10, finding years. out, like, Vince McMahon is trying to buy out Meltzer. <laughs> 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 like, fucking mad shit. Little do they know, he's on Tony Khan's payroll, am I right? Yeah. Um, no, um, this is... what the, the funniest thing about this, apart from the cartoon supervillainy of it all, is do you guys remember Kotiku? I, I still... I. I bounce over to Kotaku every now and no, again. No, Kotiku. Oh, I have no idea what Kotiku is. So about 10 years ago, do you remember like, uh, game sites used to do this thing? April Fool's Day, they'd like make up a game or console announcement and just leave it up for the day on April oh, Fool's right, Day. Oh, right, yeah. So uh, one of the ones Kotaku did was they, and this was without any knowledge that this was 
like in the offing at some point in the timeline. Um, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but they changed the entire site for April Fool's Day to Kotiku, saying that they'd been bought out by Activision <laughs> and become an exclusively Guitar Hero platform. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's just funny about how, like, they all had a good laugh and a joke about this, and there's a possibility that at roughly the same time he was like, well, actually... Yeah, it seems like a good uh, idea, doesn't it? Yeah, don't mind if I do. Um, the do, other do, thing... Do we get to the point, though, where, like, by this time come next year, Kotick has fucked off into the sun and we never hear his name again? Depends how long the deal takes to go through. Yeah, and I think, like, the, you know the I mean? quote in the press release was, like, I think as deliberately vague as it could possibly be. It's like, yeah. he will stay on, but also they'll report to Phil Spencer. It's like, well, what does that actually mean? And yeah. I, I, I think the people saying he's definitely going to go, I think at this stage it's more hopeful than anything else. Yeah, and, like, if he does go, it'll be with Golden Parachute and a hero's exit. Like, it'll be like, he guided this deal in and made Activision a wonderful partner for Microsoft that now he gets a ton of money and gets to go away a hero instead of being held accountable for running a company that committed multiple atrocities that he was either responsible for or aware of. There is no justice in the world, is there? There is not. But listen, all we can hope for is that those poor human beings who have suffered horribly for years, if if because I, I know the quote was that they expect this deal to be done by end of fiscal 2022, by June 2000, uh, 2023 anyways, when they expect all the due diligence and everything to be cleared, if it gets cleared. But now, I just hope those human beings one. are treated with dignity and respect in Microsoft. That's, that's all we can yeah. hope for here, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the interesting, you know, it's way down the list, but one of the interesting questions is what does this mean for when and where games are going to come out? And I know there were people in a flap this week about, oh God, that means Call of Duty is going to be a Microsoft exclusive. And like, I honestly, just based on the way that they have behaved with things they've acquired in the past, I don't think that's going to happen. But I think what you are going to do, and I think it's the smartest business decision, um for xbox is all that shit all the bethesda games all the activision blizzard games all your minecrafts all your psychonauts all that shit that microsoft owns still gonna come out on everything but one you're gonna get a big xbox game studios logo on your playstation when you fire those games up which uh you know is going to be nice ego boost for uncle phil uh and number two they're gonna cost you 80 quid to get on your ps5 but they're gonna be dropping uh, on Game Pass day one, and they'll more than likely do all the like marketing stuff that already happened, where it's like DLC exclusive to Xbox and all that fun stuff. Yeah. yeah, because like you like you guys mentioned, an enormous amount of Switches and Playstations are out there in the wild, and to put this stuff on Game Pass anyway is going to like yeah, for the long term you're enticing more people to sign up for that service, but short term you're blowing a lot of the money that you could make by making the same amount of people pay $80 for this one game. Um, so you don't want to take that financial hit and also take these off all the other consoles because there are su- there's such a big audience out there and they can they are in the position now with Activision Blizzard and with Bethesda and all these other, like they acquired Ninja Theory, Double Fine uh, over the last few years, those people that like... They are the one of the three platforms that can actually reach out and grab the audience from the other two without necessarily making them having have to buy a console. And I would not want to give up that incredibly advantageous position if I were running things. 
Um, so you do things like put them on Game Pass Day 1 so they're like you can still get it on your PlayStation but boy doesn't it seem like it would be a good idea to have an Xbox um, and you also do things like I believe unless I'm mistaken that Minecraft thing because Minecraft was already out when they acquired it was Minecraft just gets the DLC slightly earlier and gets like slightly it gets the patches first and things like that so it's kind of like it's the same game you get on everything but you get a slightly nicer package uh on your microsoft platforms uh that seems I, I don't know about you guys but that just seems like the, the the clever boxing way like you don't want to at this point in time make enemies of people by going no you can't have your call of duty anymore sorry <laughs> No, and again, like depending on what the the contractual agreements are, I can't imagine that we're going to be seeing any any of that for a while anyway. So, yeah. I yeah, I can't uh, imagine I'm, I'm that not... even like Activision would want that. It's like, hey, do you want to do you want all this money, but also you can only going forward sell one third of the amount of games you've been selling. Yeah, yeah, and like the, yeah. the interesting thing though is like, even for Microsoft, sixty nine billion is a lot of money. It is. It, it, yeah. Well, somebody said this, like, um, during the week, Art, I'm sure you saw the tweet, that, like, God, it's funny how much we thought it was a ridiculous amount of money when Disney bought Marvel and Star Wars for $4 billion each, and now it looks like fucking pocket change. That was my tweet, in fact, Dave Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? So, oh, yes. from this great, this great Twitter account I, did, I follow. I did see that tweet. But yeah, like the the previous biggest purchase in the history of games was Tay Two buying Zynga for something like twelve billion, and this is like nearly five times that six. So, like this, I think it's half of all of Microsoft's cash on hand, which is a it's a staggering amount of money, even for Microsoft, one of the largest corporations in the history of humanity. Like this is a huge deal. So I wonder, will there be some people in Microsoft being like? Well, we made Starfield exclusive. Why can't we make Call of Duty exclusive? I, yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting here is like now you've got a bunch of games and a bunch of IPs that you own. And I'm thinking about like where does it see in conjunction with the other studios that they own? And like, okay, do we want to give... Um, I don't know if they actually own the rights to Crash and Spyro or it's just those specific games. But I'm thinking like, well, they have Rare. Like, I'd love to see Rare just be given like Crash and Spyro and like, here, this is your wheelhouse. Go do something with that, you know? So one of the main reasons I'm like, please don't make enemies of people, is because like I'm I'm holding out such hope for the the Microsoft uh, having nice productive discussions with Nintendo that we get like a, a shiny glossy HD Diddy Kong Racing. Hey, Banjo Kazooie came out on Switch today, so there's hope. Yeah. Oh man, I really between that and talking to our buddy Niner, who literally, as we speak, uh, is installing and setting up his Series S that we made him buy. Um, I I really want to play Banjo again. I think I might do that over the weekend. Um, and did you see? Did we talk about it on the podcast? Or did it happen over the Christmas break where somebody spotted a trademark filing for? Goldeneye. I HD. don't think we actually did speak about that, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. either way, I'm gonna have my uh, my retro pocket two next week, so I'll be playing Goldeneye one way or the other. Um, one thing uh, what I want to do as well quickly is just go through all of the games now that are potentially coming to Game Pass and see how we feel about it. If we care, you know, like just just to kind of get a, a lay of the land. Uh, first of all, Overwatch and Overwatch Two. Sure, I'll play it for like an hour. I really, I got, as you'll remember, Mark, for like a month, I was super you into Overwatch. Was. Yes, I do remember yeah. that. 
Yeah. Um, I I have never cared for Overwatch. I like Garrett. When Overwatch 2 comes out, and if it is on Game Pass, I will probably play for an hour or so and then be done with it. Yeah. I mean, this is and this is the thing that like we talked about it before with the with the Game Pass thing is that there is so much on there that like unless it's something that really fucking gets its claws in deep for you, this kind of stuff that's like play it for a little while and then get sick of it, like it's much more conducive to that behavior. Um, which is interesting because I, I it'll be interesting to see how some of these studios and developers uh pivot to try and make this be one of those Game Pass games you don't just play for a couple of days and then fuck off. Um, obviously, the Call of Duty series. Uh, I mean, look, you know, it, depending on how that comes out, what version of it, I would probably play Modern Warfare again because I have not played that in a long time. I like COD Four. I can't say I'm particularly enthralled to play any of the others, but there's a lot of people out there that will mm. want to look forward to playing them. So, you know, good for them, I guess. I wonder will they do the things the, like the smart delivery stuff, where it's like you can just download the Modern Warfare campaign. You don't need you need to don't need to touch the multiplayer. If they dig that would be into. nice. That would be really nice. Yeah. Though I don't know what the servers are. I mean, what? Like, what? How many? How many Call of Duty games are there at the moment that have some form of multiplayer running? You are literally <laughs> asking the well, wrong Well, because it could people. be. There could be like on top of Warzone, like um, whatever the most recent Call of Duty is, and there's probably at least one before that that's still got multiplayer running. It seems crazy, but hey, whatever. Uh, Sean McGee's favorite game, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, is now actually under Activision ownership. Um, I would definitely download that for an hour, die a lot, and then never play it again from what Sean and Garrett were saying last week about it. It's very mean. It's a mean game. How? Because I, 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 I still haven't gotten to that part on the podcast, but just as a whistle-stop tour, Garrett, in the ranking of mean uh, Soulsborne oh, games, it's the where is it? It's far, because you, you can grind oh, out the there. rest of them. You know, you can just go kill the it's tiny enemies where the, everything kills you in this game i'm like no just never oh that's a shame because it's like it's the one that maybe with the exception of bloodborne i'm the most aesthetically like ooh, maybe i will get this Bloodborne is the best of them crash bandicoot 4 the insane trilogy and the crash team racing nitro fueled uh remake i own them all oh, yeah, on two systems already so. <laughs> i don't own any of them uh i actually said last year that i was gonna definitely get to crash 4 but i didn't get to it because i don't like that the insane trilogy because they fucked up the physics and I just didn't want to go near any of the modern ones. But I definitely, I definitely would play the Crash Team Racing remake on Game Pass. That's an easy download for me, if nothing else. Uh, Diablo two, Diablo two resurrected in Diablo three. Do you know I've never played a minute I mean, of just, Diablo. I was gonna say Diablo's got like it's one of those that like it's not like universal, but like that Diablo fan base is bigger than you think and definitely like they, that'll be a nice little learner for them like because those people who are into diablo play that game for years and they spend money on it i'm told that that ps4 port of diablo 3 was actually really fucking good but again i'm not a diablo i played like I? 20 minutes of it on switch like i do all games is <laughs> there any game you've not played 20 minutes of so last week i was updating my switch because i do a thing where I, I do a little purge at like every few months where i'm like all right I'll, I'll either update this game with an intent to play it or i'll delete it and it ended up being like 80 games i think i needed to update <laughs> that i was like maybe i'll get to it at some stage and about another <laughs> 30 i purged that i'm just like nah i'm never gonna do it i got my speaking of like length of times we're playing games i got my 
PlayStation wrapped for 2021. But I always feel bad, like, because I, I never tweet it out because, like, the top two are always last year's FIFA that I was still playing for a bit of that year and the second place is always the new FIFA that came out in August that I was playing for the rest of the year because it's the most like no matter what as Mark knows no matter what I'm playing is like oh yeah I'll play an hour or two of Halo Infinite and then I'll finish off the night with an hour or two of FIFA um so I end up with this like oh you played like my fifth fourth third or like oh you played 20 hours of this you played 30 hours of this you played 40 hours of this and it jumps up to you played 260 hours of the new FIFA that's been out since August and you played 500 hours of the one that came out the year before and that's That's not really that might be very slightly by only about 10 or 20 hours exaggerating it but it's definitely like in the 500 and 200 range my my FIFA playing this year yeah. Moving on, um, the Spyro Reignited trilogy. Uh, so I own the Switch version of that trilogy, and it sucks. So I would like to play this on a console that can actually run that fucking thing. It's not that bad. It's terrible. It the frame rate is appalling on that thing. You can tell how used to uh, horrible ports I am on Switch. And I'm like, ah, it's alright. <laughs> Honestly, every time now, I, I'm so tentative about getting a Switch port of something that's on PS5 or, or Xbox because. Spyro wasn't the first one that burned me, but I think that was the one that really was like, ah, yeah, I'm, I just, and I, because I think I remember you saying that you was going to get the GTA trilogy on Switch, and even before reading or knowing anything about that, I was like, that seems like the worst version of that game to get. And, I, and I, I bought didn't. it on Switch, and I do regret it. I will say, yeah, uh, I do maintain. If it had worked, it would have been, would have been an absolute root one. There, for, there are games that are objectively Switch. better on Switch. Like, Nobody Saves the World, that's a Switch-ass Switch game. When that comes oh, to yeah. Switch. Oh, like, yeah. the Switchiest Switch game that ever Switched. But, yeah, GTA Trilogy wasn't a good Switch game. Yeah. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. I would definitely play through that entire game again if it's on Game Pass. No objections. Just give me that. And most crucially... Give me a new one, please. Yeah, Phil Spencer, just go commission a new Spyro, new Crash, new Guitar Hero, new... Who knows who's going to make all these games, but new Tony Hawk. I mean, Guitar Hero might be the tricky one of all of them, but uh, yeah, no, that's... uh, Yeah, and then a list of other games that they now own include Caesar, Candy Crush, Geometry Wars, Gun, Hearthstone... God, remember Gun. Heroes of the Storm, Hexen, Interstate 76, King's Quest, The Lost Vikings, Phantasmagoria, uh, Pitfall, Prototype, Quest for Glory, Singularity, Soldier of Fortune, Space Quest, Starcraft, Tenchu, Time Shift, True Crime, and World of Warcraft. Um, and then most crucially, a bunch of games that we're probably not going to see for different reasons. Uh, like, I was immediately thinking, hey, yeah, cool, maybe we'll get, like, Guitar Hero, completely forgetting that, no, that's a different kettle of fish because you got music rights. So none of those Guitar Hero games are going to show up, sadly. Because um, I, w- I would love to have them on there. But yeah, that that's probably not going to happen. Just make a new one. Yeah, well, they did. And no one played it. That was a the real like, place and time series, wasn't it? It really is, yes. Um, but I guess we can also end with uh, the question that we got this week from a friend of the show at Too Much Grayon, uh, Garyon, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't care. You know, yeah, Gary. Of course I do. Uh, do you think any of the remaining big boys would take an offer from either Microsoft or Sony at this point? E.g., EA, Take Two, Ubisoft, and the like. I don't think Take Two. I mean, they have GTA. Like, they have no. so much money coming from that fucking thing yeah. that they're good. I, I, I think, I think Take Two and EA are the ones that I would be stunned. 
because uh, Take Two with GTA and EA with the sports games. Like, again, we've talked before about the revenues that just Ultimate Team in just FIFA make. That's before you count the actual sales of the game, before you count um, Madden, NHL, and the fact that both those games now have their Ultimate Teams too. They're, they're already tied up with Microsoft anyway. Like, they're on Game Pass with some of their stuff, and I don't know what kind of cut they make from that, but yeah, they're, they're, they're good. They're not going anywhere or need to be signed up or bought up by anyone. And they probably have their issues here and there. I'm sure, you know, there are probably not to the degree that we've seen with uh, Activision and, and Ubisoft, but uh, I don't think, you know, anyone's jumping off that ship anytime soon. So I think EA is good. Uh, Ubisoft, I could see it. Um, Honestly, if you were to ask me which of the two Microsoft was most likely to buy, Activision Blizzard or Ubisoft, I would have said Ubisoft. Yeah. Ubi- Ubisoft is an interesting one because it's it, the, after the last couple of years, similar to Activision with the like the abuse and mistreatment of people as uh, uh, in addition to the, the general crunch and stuff like that. Obviously, the the Gimo, the family, are like in a really they have no intention of selling up at the moment, um, or resigning, um, uh, in the wake of all that shit, even though they should have, um. But like, if someone like a Microsoft came around, you gotta imagine there is a number where it's like, is it just easier for us to make more money than God off this sale and walk away, uh? than it is to kind of like don't back doon double doon which is what they have been doing for the last year and a half um since that stuff really started coming out of pace um i would yeah my guess would be not necessarily by microsoft but but i could see somebody acquiring ubi at some well at this point it it, Um, like it's only either going to be tencent or, or sony or take two you think Take Two would buy Ubisoft? I don't. I, no, I'm not saying that. It's like that's the number one guess I would have. I still think, yeah, the the ones you have named there are probably the best guesses. Do you know, do you know who we we haven't mentioned? I haven't kind of discussed in any of this is Epic. It's just making all that Fortnite money. Because, because yeah, with all that Fortnite money, I mean, no one has any actual numbers here, but they could probably put a bid in. You know, like they'll just do a couple of deals on couple of offers on a couple of weekends of Fortnite, round up a bit of money and now it is worth notice noting shipping that, offer over you know yeah the historical um the historical example we have is that somebody did try i can't remember what was the name of the company that tried to acquire ubisoft there was an attempt a vivendi do you remember vivendi tried to buy them by buying out the shares slowly but surely and forcing a takeover yes they tried Indeed, to do a leverage yeah. buyout of, of uh, Ubi and they fought that fucking thing tooth and nail. So at least at that time, between 2015 and whenever it was, they really yeah. did not want to give up the company. So now the last couple of years, like I said, may have changed that and hopefully would have. Um, but who's to say? 
Who? But and I don't expect like all studios and publishers at the first attempt at someone trying to because like didn't Square Enix tell well, Microsoft like, to the fuck The Japanese off? companies are uh, a very different kettle of fish yeah. for very different cultural reasons. Yeah, yeah. And particularly if Microsoft comes in, there's like a there's like a really resistant attitude to Xbox. It's gas over in Japan. <laughs> like whenever you talk to somebody that's been like that was part of the the Xbox team, and they're just like, we just can't fucking crack that nut. Is like they basically just see. Microsoft and Xbox in particular as the boorish Americans coming in. No, sorry, consoles, uh, you know, games consoles are a Japanese business, kindly fuck off. And even if you like, if you look at individual consoles during that, um, like I know they were doing disastrously during the um, the Xbox One generation, but they were doing disastrous everywhere. But like even I remember reading the thing that like as, as much of a huge seller as the 360 was, like if you look at how it sold in Japan relative to you know, uh, obviously the Wii, but the PS3 and the handhelds as well. You know, like <laughs> as much as they got maligned here, the PSP and the Vita did fucking banger numbers over in Japan, and obviously the DS was a titan as well. Um, they've just Xbox like, and that is the thing, very WWE like going to different territories and trying to to buy out companies is like that's what xbox at a certain stage tried to do microsoft were just like right fuck we'll just buy a company that's already there instead of trying to fucking wedge our way in there and like you said because of the and because of how as garrett indicated business culture is just thought of in an entirely different way in japan uh compared to here um they were just like thanks but no thanks what what disappoints me is that um microsoft attempted to buy like a square enix and that fell through and they're like well we have to show face for this we have to say, show that we've done something and uh i'm, I'm sad we didn't get like a, oh microsoft bought two to 51 or something that would have been that would have been i would have enjoyed that but uh the alas. one thing I, I could see microsoft doing is maybe like buying something like crystal dynamics from square enix like buying a western yeah. studio from square enix um, I could also see, I, I think we'll see more of the either like smaller ones or um, some of the former fallen giants get acquired. Like I think every year people like since maybe the early 2000s, people have said, well, like Nintendo are obviously going to buy Sega at some point <laughs> and it just never happens. Um, Nintendo are so behind the times. I'm sure yeah. one day someone's going to come out and say, "Hey, can we buy a claim? Like, is that still going? What about Midway? Can we yeah. do that?" Yeah, but like, yeah. Nintendo are so weird about who they do and don't buy because obviously, famously, they didn't buy Rare, and then Microsoft pulled yeah. Rare from under them. They did buy Retro. They only bought Next Level, who make Luigi's Mansion. I would only imagine because of these companies sniffing around, being like, "Oh well." You know, we don't want that to happen again. Yeah, we do not want to lose this very good, very uh, strong studio under our belt. But like, if you look at the, the some of the biggest developers in Nintendo are third party. Like, yeah. when when you when you look at um, Intelligent Systems and you look at uh, the Kirby developers, Hal, they're they're both independent. Nintendo don't own those studios. Yeah. And, and they don't own Game Freak, right? Uh, the ownership of Game Freak and Pokemon and Nintendo is a web that if you try to look at, you you instantly lose your mind. Your brain just fries. Yeah. Is it is it like, is it something weird like Game Freak own themselves, but Nintendo and Game Freak both own the Pokemon company or yeah, something like that? Yeah, it's like, like they, they have a third stake in the Pokemon company between Game yeah. Freak, the Pokemon Company International, and Nintendo, 
But Nintendo, I believe themselves, own the copyrights and trademarks to Pokemon. So yeah. it's just a web of corporate nonsense that I think yeah. when it comes down to it, if someone wanted to make a Pokemon game, it would have to be Nintendo. But yeah. there, it's just that, a web. That's like, it's enmeshed in such a way that I don't think there's any fucking risk of uh, Big Phil uh, raiding Pikachu. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. But yeah, yeah, it would be weird to see like Nintendo buying Sega because the only because like do do we have any precedent for Japanese companies really buying each other? Like Nintendo have bought like Monolith, the the Xenoblade Chronicles developers. That's a relatively small one, but I mean, I guess they're what they have more is uh, we see this in wrestling as well, where we have kind of these strategic alliances slash mergers, um, where it's like you will have companies uh sort of working together sort of being independent but sort of being not i think of like you know i suppose a parallel in, in wrestling is like bushy road acquiring stardom but then kind of being like yeah stardom you kind of run your own shop but we own and support you kind of thing um it is you know what i mean Gar- we, you know, we've already said it but it is just they think about business there in an, an entirely different way like it's it's not as much about and Nintendo are classic. Like there are definitely ways that Nintendo in the morning, if they hit a bunch of buttons, could make all the money. But they're just kind of like happy to be weird and be Nintendo and make some of the money. Yeah, but because like if you go to the Intelligent Systems Wikipedia page and look at how important that studio is to the, to the Nintendo's development pipeline, and then think about how Nintendo doesn't own them, it's just it's yeah. kind of insane. Because it like it's it's beautiful and yeah. like so yeah, just not like what you would imagine yeah. uh, if you kind of think about video games and acquisitions in the modern space it's just so alien to everything that we know and i love it i i will always appreciate nintendo for for being as weird as they are for yeah. all of the right and e- sometimes wrong reasons everyone always says it like at the end of the day they're still just a crazy toy maker yeah um yeah. anyway i suppose um well, let's leave it at that for the week. I think it's we've, about time uh, we announced we've been bought out by Microsoft. It's a, It's been a very good deal. <laughs> yeah. And now we have uh, Phil Spencer joining us. Yeah, uh, from now on, on Link to the Cast will be available on Xbox Game Pass. Look, I've said it since episode one, lads. Please co-opt me. Look, I'll I, take I, a 20... I will be bought out by anyone. <laughs> I, I will take a 20 quid check from Atari, you know, if they want yeah. to get back in the hey, business. Didn't Atari <laughs> release a console last year? Or is there a new one? I, There's like an Atari yeah, coming out, isn't there? I, I don't know if they did, like, uh, uh, an Atari Mini, like, comparable to the, the NES Mini or something. No, there, Maybe they did. There's the Intellivision console clo- and the Atari and console. And I don't remember which one actually came out. There was, like, there was a while there where they were just, like, uh, a hoodie and headphone company. <laughs> do you remember they were making those headphones? I do. Atari, Atari are just a weird fucking company. Uh, that, that's another like, weird one where it's yeah. like that the the trademarks and the actual like company are owned by two different people or something isn't it it's like a weird split. yeah yeah it's it's just a mess at this point i think hey yeah. do you want to turn yourself inside out with cringe uh Go on. i just googled it so it's atari's 50th anniversary this year and uh so the plans do include retro remakes pong Aces. hd um but also wait for this hotels Yes, I do remember and, reading about that. Oh wait, the blockchain. Oh, well, I mean, Atari Coin was launched. I mean, whatever. That's not even surprising. Like, I thought you were going to tell me they fucking set up an airline or something. You know, that would have impressed uh, me. 
I, I can't remember if we covered it. Konami definitely have some sort of NFT or blockchain. Uh, but Konami, they did a, like a 35th anniversary for Castlevania. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, yes, but they, like, they <laughs> no have, surprise there at all. They have made some moves in the last while, though. Just looking at this before we sign off is that... Um, they filed Atari, so there's some sort of game thing happening because they filed a renewal trademark for uh, the defunct Ocean Studio that they own. Yeah, which is so like... So they had made... Um, do you know how many bad games Ocean made? Yep. They uh, made Waterworld for the fucking Virtual Boy. Yeah, That's they made, all you need to say. They made clones of Missile Command and Frogger. Uh, yeah. They became successful in their own right when the company began developing games based on movies. Uh, the never-ending story game, Rambo, Short Circuit, Jurassic Park, and Lethal Weapon. Um, they released... In 15 years, they released nearly 200 licensed film games. Yeah, yeah. And none of them were good. That is outrageous. Um... I'm just seeing a screenshot of Slap Fight. Maybe that's why they brought it back, because that's, like, is it that Eastern European Slap Fight League that got really popular during lockdown? <laughs> about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why they're bringing it back, is, like, uh, the appetite is right now. Slap Fight remake. Do you know what? I take it back. I don't want to be owned by Atari. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems like you only own Atari nowadays. They don't own yeah. you. Right. On that note. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Link to the Cast. Um, at Link to the Cast, where you need to go on Twitter to follow us, um, to keep up to date with the shows, to chat to us during the week about what you liked on the show, what you'd like us to cover this week. If you would like to throw in a question like Gary did this week, we are more than happy to answer. Uh, we love nothing more than hearing the sound of our own voices in the middle of a Friday night uh, as we record. Uh, individually, I'm at the day to day. Mark is at Lithium Project. Uh, the departed Jack Lazell uh, is... Uh, at Jack Lazell and uh, the excellent Twitter account with great opinions about Disney acquisitions is at Gary Kidney. So good. Uh, <laughs> so good. So on point. So many tweets. Far too many um, tweets, some would say. Right. Yeah, we, we will never log off on this podcast. That is one thing. Terminally online. Um, Tragically so. Yeah, we'll see you again next week. Good to be back. Good to be looking into 2022. A new season of the Link to the Cast. We'll talk to you next week.